All right, now we're live. How's it going, man? Great. Welcome to Ponytails. I'm excited to have you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's not, I mean, listen, um, we hard we believe strongly that you are your units here on this show, of course. <laughs> and so if if that's the case, this is like one of the biggest episodes ever, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I went ahead and wore the T-shirt for that. So uh, yeah, sweatshirt. Two, I was say two thousand unit club. I didn't even know they made sweatshirts for that. It's uh, like well, yeah, apparently they just started to. And somebody handed me this and said, uh, apparently in the education division, I was the first person to ever do it, and uh, they gave me the sweatshirt. And I thought this is my first time wearing it. So no way <laughs> listening the sweatshirt for the ponytails podcast that's wild i mean i think i, I want to tell people who we have here on the show although you need no introduction but but how many people have hit 2000 units in a week i mean I, it's like oh, yeah. you kaya yeah kaya, who i learned how to do it uh from and then uh several of the guys i actually uh coach so Oddly enough, Theo Davies uh, almost hit it. He was like 1,900 units. Um, no, no, no. Uh, correction. He did. He he crushed it. Theo hit like 2,600 units maybe. Like Theo, Theo had a huge week. Uh, he sold 19,000 units. That's what it was. He was just short of selling 20,000 units and – and uh, so he was a 2000 unit guy. How wild, man. Uh, and then a lot of the guys over at um, Bulgaria. So Peter Petkoff. Uh, Dennis, probably. Yeah, Dennis. Emil. Uh, oh, so, yeah. That's what, yeah. So it's like out of 100. I'd say. Out of about 200,000 people living or dead or more, I guess, at this point that have done this. There's like four of you. <laughs> There's like five of you. That's insane. That's wild. Oh man! All right. Well, let me tell people who we're talking to here today. Um, and uh, we're, guys, we're, we're brought to you today by uh, MLA Energy, and of course, it's a solar company ran by Julio Hernandez, and uh, of course, Alex Black in Florida is working their their main division down there. If you guys are looking for an opportunity to go into solar, there is no better place probably than Julio Hernandez as a leader and as a mentor. The guy is awesome. I worked for them for about a, a year before the podcast started taking off, and I couldn't recommend that opportunity more. They're in all the markets in the U.S. at this point. I think they're up to like 40-something states. So make sure you go check them out or give us a call, give us a message, and we'll get you connected to Julio. Guys, those guys are crushing it over there, growing fast. So if you're into kind of getting into that competitive space and into a fast-growing company, uh, that's a good spot for it. And of course, brought to you by Cardinal Senior Benefits. They're coming off another hot year. 2023 is finishing up. They've been doubling every year since 2018 when they first got started in their now, I think working with over 60 alumni of Southwestern, which is bananas, they've now paid in their lifetime about $45 million of commission. So if you guys want to learn a little bit more about that opportunity, make sure you click the link below. We're also going to get you hooked up to talk to either Pedro Vega or Nick Dale or Quentin Roberts. Love you guys a lot. Now, my guest today, um, as I said, needs no introduction. Dustin Hillis is with us here today originally. Uh, of course, uh, he is from Ashland, Tennessee. He sold for four summers with the OG winning tradition, and he was uh, the former CEO of the Southwestern Family of Companies. He was recognized as the top 10 CEO by Industry Era in 2021. Before being asked to be CEO of the Southwestern Family of Companies, Dustin co-founded Southwestern Consulting, and during the 16 years of leading that business, he helped launch and sales and leadership seminar business, consulting business, and coaching business, each of which produced multiple millions per year. Kind of impressive. 
Let's see what else. The coaching business alone produced over 100 million and it grew at over 60% per year in the 10 years that Dustin was leading it. He was awarded the top 10, 50 consulting firm CEOs by consulting report. I mean, at this point, if you're not yet impressed, uh, you're about to be, but make sure you get your journals and your, or your pens out to take notes because this is about to be crazy. As a bookman, Dustin finished number one in his first summer and was the number one B contract his second summer while recruiting and managing his first team of eight people. Then his third summer, he broke the all-time company sales record formerly held by his own wife, Kaya, um, and who you might you might know as Kaya Grady. And um, he was the first person to sell over 20,000 units in the history of a 155-year-old company at the time. Now, then his fourth summer, he finished number one while selling in Alaska. Uh, with his then fiance Kaya. Today, Dustin is focused on his new company, All Things New Ventures. It's a sweat equity business that has already helped his uh, equity partner companies grow from 30 million in his first year. Now, here's the deal, guys. I had Dustin come on here because he told me a little bit about uh, what this new business uh, venture he's trying out, All Things New Ventures. And here's the deal. I have, I'm, it's just from hearing what he's doing. There's no doubt in my mind that this is about to blow up into uh, one of the biggest biggest companies that our and alumni has ever produced. I'm so excited to learn a little bit from him. I'm here to uh, be humbled by someone who is doing what I want to do, which is growing a company and growing all other companies at massive noticeable levels. I mean, at this point, we might be uh, looking into a new, a, a new kind of alumni, which is like the level up. He's going to break the record for alumni doing cool things <laughs> in, in the world after Southwestern. So, hey, man, welcome to the show. I'm happy to have you. Oh, thanks for having me. You're, you're doing good, good things, Andres. I appreciate that. Somebody's got to do it, I guess. Somebody's got to do this podcast, right? Talking to book people. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Dude. I, okay, let's, let's just dive in. I mean, there, there's so much in here. I, uh, I was looking at what, you know, when we first uh, started talking, um, your, your, number, your favorite school is number eight. I will multiply my value a hundredfold, which I think is so telling to what you do and how you do it. Um, and, and I just want to start by just asking the very, very obvious question, which is tell me a little bit about all things new ventures, but maybe if you could start with like, how did you think of this idea? Cause there's other people who, um, as you've explained to me, uh, will invest in a company or try to, uh, help improve a company. And there's such, but this seems like a such unique way of doing it. So let's just start with what is it? How are you doing it? And how did you come up with this idea? Sure. So after leaving Southwestern, we bought an RV and drove the RV 12,000 miles. We went from Nashville, Tennessee to Cabo, Mexico, from Cabo, Mexico to Spokane, Washington, from Spokane, Washington to New York, and then from New York back down to Nashville and had 42 stops in between. And... Once I updated my profile on LinkedIn that I was no longer at Southwestern, started getting some phone calls and people checking in, seeing what I'm doing. And it was it was actually sorting through several different opportunities that I that I said no thank you to that led me to figuring out really what I wanted to do. And it, it came from just asking questions uh, as I would talk to people that were wanting me to be a CEO of their company and hearing what they were struggling with. Uh, a lot of times it was more the executive strategy that, that really they needed and to have someone partner with their CEO rather than just becoming the CEO. 
And so that kind of got me excited to think, man, what if I had several companies where instead of running the company, I just empowered the company, equipped the company, gave them the right strategy, the right team, the right game plan, and and help them uh, to achieve their maximum potential. So the first one was a drone company called Tough Stomp. And it was a guy I go to church with. Uh, he's the co-founder. His name's Ben Brown. Awesome dude. Uh, Ex-Special Forces and was my golf buddy. And Ben and my pastor and I all go play golf every Friday. And uh, <laughs> one Sunday after church, Ben said, hey, man, I, I, I heard you're not with that company you were with for uh, you know 20 years. Uh, gosh, that's a long time to be with one company. What are you going to do next? And I shared with them this idea of, of maybe helping with business strategy and, and being a, a partner with, with the company to help them grow uh, and, and kind of being like a board member. And he said, man, that sounds awesome. Would you help our company out? And so I met his other co-founder and we started talking and one thing led to the next and uh, about three months after us starting to work together, they asked me to be the chief strategy officer. And now I'm an equity partner in the business. And we do drone technology for special ops. And so it, it's situational awareness, uh, geospatial awareness technology. And I'm the only non-military guy in the whole company. Uh, I was just there last week in North Carolina at the headquarters next to Fort Liberty, formerly Fort Bragg. And all these guys that spent 20 years doing special ops and I spent 20 years in corporate America. So I'm, I'm kind of the business guy helping them create financials and helped them hire a CFO and, and redid their uh, lead product line and, and mo helping maximize their value is really mm -hmm. what I'm doing. And I had so much fun with them that I thought, what the heck, I'm going to just do this uh, for other people. So put uh, all things new ventures together and put a website up and people have been reaching out saying, hey, this sounds interesting. Um, the next one was called Totally Mushrooms. And it's a <laughs> mobile mushroom farm and it's turnkey. The technology is amazing. So you you buy a, a mushroom farm it has everything you need to be your own mushroom farmer. And for me, I look at the macro trends. So it's sustainable, organic, uh, healthy food. And, and you could either sell it and cash flow three to $5,000 a month off of your mobile mushroom farm uh, forever. Uh, you could eat your own mushrooms. You could go to the, uh, uh, the farmer's market and sell your mushrooms. But we, we also provide <laughs> distribution channel for it. So kind of did the same thing with them, helped them put the business model together, uh, helped them uh, actually hire a CFO for that company too. Um, so it's, it's helping with legal, helping with finance, helping with executive strategy, marketing strategy, and business development strategy. So there's five sectors that I'm, I'm finding all, most of these companies need executive support around. 
Okay, so now before we can go, I have so many questions already because this is so interesting and it's fascinating the way that you're doing it. So I guess let's go from the basics of this is different than if you were to say, hey, here's $50 million to invest in your company. I guess these are, I don't know how big these companies are, but instead of like buying equity specifically with cash, you're offering these solutions in exchange for that equity. Yeah, it, I, I call it sweat equity yeah. and it really is what they need. Uh, a lot of times they, they don't have an equity structure to begin with. So even if they were to raise capital, they don't know how to go about doing it. So some of these companies I have helped raise money. One, one of uh, the companies I raised $500,000 within three months of them uh, engaging with me. And I have a lot of friends uh, that are investors and brought in some guys from New York and they invested in a company and they had been trying to raise capital for a long time before engaging with me. And we got it done in about three months and it helped them to keep their lights on and, and uh, to grow the company. And so uh, I've had multiple companies that I've, I've helped them get the capital, but you, you you have to be careful when you're taking on investments. Um, You know, not all money is good money. And so Mm -hmm. being able to be smart and, and to know what your company's worth, number one, knowing how to evaluate the company, number two, uh, knowing how, uh, what, what kind of partner are you looking for? Do you want a passive partner or an active partner? And creating a strategy to grow the company and, and finance is always part of the strategy. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, of bringing on strategic partners. So someone that wants to put in you know, a million, $5 million, and they have resources to bring to the table and they can actually become part of the executive team. They can be a board member and they help elevate the whole company. So, but sometimes passive investments are also needed and the, and the founders are just like, Hey, we just need cash and let's just get some terms together that are exciting for the investor. Let's put a plan together of how they're going to get their ROI and let's go crazy. And yeah. I help them do that. I, I know people who are very interested in that and bring those people to the table and, and we do it. And, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of times it is the, um, I'm finding it's the vouching for the company that matters. So it's kind of like, uh, think of Shark Tank, except one of the sharks is actually willing to be part of the company and to tell the other sharks, this is legit. You guys should do it. <laughs> yeah, so, that works. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's a piece of it where my friends uh, and folks that just know me are saying, hey, let us know if this is something we should do type of thing. So, now. Well, that's pretty sweet. So we had Patrick Dichter on here and he, it, he doesn't quite do this, but it's a similar vein of like, Hey, you're taking uh, ownership of a new business. And so one of the questions I had for him, which I wanted to ask you from your perspective is as you, as you, as you go into uh, working with these companies, as you start partnering with these companies, is there, are there like the more, the common mistakes or common things that you're finding when you, when you run into them? So for example, like, uh, and this could be targeted, this question, I guess, could be targeted for people who are listening who maybe own a business already. And they're thinking, okay, uh, I maybe, I don't, I don't know what I don't know. So what, are there any common threads that you see as you start partnering with someone that it's like, okay, most of them don't have a CFO, for example, or maybe it's something like, um, these people just have no idea how to truly value their product 
you know line and 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 how much it should cost right their their bottom line or anything like that like are there things that you notice that it's like a pretty common theme among entrepreneurs that you work with yes uh the lack of a true executive strategy having a step-by-step plan that says here's where we are and here's where we're going and uh breaking it down into actionable tangible uh growth strategies and so a lot of entrepreneurs they have a really good idea they have a really good product they're willing to work hard but they don't think about what's going to get us from 1 million to 10 million what's going to get us from 10 million to 20 million what's going to get us from 20 million to 100 million and what's going to get us from 100 million to a billion and what can what gets you from a startup to 1 million is much different than what gets you from 1 million to 10 million and what gets you from 10 million to 20 million is much different than what gets you from 20 million to 100 mm. and then what gets you from 100 to uh, a billion is much different so uh understanding that and knowing the dynamics the the growth dynamics the stages of growth of a business and when to build infrastructure when 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 to uh create departments within your company when to bring in capital and when not to bring in capital, uh, knowing what your valuation target should be and looking at macroeconomic trends and setting targets based on those macroeconomic trends and based on what the competition is doing and having market comparisons. Those are all a lot of entrepreneurs aren't thinking that way. And so when when you come in and day one start providing that, then they get a lot of clarity. And then once you have clarity, now you can make decisions. And I just have fun providing the strategic um, uh, clarity and and doing the work. Uh, I always love recruiting. So recruiting, and a lot of people don't know how to recruit executives. So recruiting mm-hmm. like a, a salesperson is much different than recruiting a CFO. And so... Um, I have fun recruiting all of them. You know, I love recruiting salespeople, I love recruiting executives. Um, I love recruiting CEOs. I recruited a CEO recently and it was fun asking questions as, as a CEO to a, another CEO that probably would throw them off. Like most people probably wouldn't ask them certain questions, but you know, hmm. what the heck <laughs> you might yeah. as well really test their metal uh, in a certain way uh, on the interview. But, and, that's not many people probably are doing that. So, uh, so yeah, so, so the executive, so the executive strategy is like the number one thing that entrepreneurs are kind of, they, they, and it's probably because it's probably because, um, okay, let's just take this as an example. Uh, hum, you ever heard of hum? It's a kombucha brand. Mm, No. So hum was started by a book woman, uh, actually book couple at the time. Um, it's a kombucha. It's very, very popular. It's now nationwide. I think it's international now. The huge, I mean, it's, giant company uh, as far as a brand as well but when she started she literally said <clears throat> and this is probably the story of most entrepreneurs right she said we had her on the show and she's like i knew how to do two things i knew how to go door to door and i knew how to make kombucha so <laughs> in bend oregon she started just going door to door selling kombucha and most entrepreneurs probably that's how they fall into the into their business right is they know how to do something well and they knew like you said they can work hard but they probably get and things start coming their way, right? Money starts maybe coming in, not necessarily like in the millions, but just they're it's working. Their product or service is really taken off. But they get to a point where it gets so big and there's so many moving parts that, as you say, the executive 
strategy is just what because nobody oh people don't really start with that um people don't really start begin with the end in mind as i i guess to put it uh, in a different way as we were taught you know and so that's that's important to know if somebody's listening out there and you're like in that grind right now where you're like you're starting to take off and it's starting to come through maybe these are some of the things you need to start thinking about i was like okay you know how do we how do we grow and i'm glad you're sharing that now are there any red flags that you look at like say you some you have somebody come comes up to you and says hey dustin i heard you on this awesome really cool podcast named pony tales podcast it's such a cool podcast my favorite podcast of all time and i want i heard about you I wanted to ask you because I have a business and I wanted to see if you wanted to be a partner. Um, come check this out. Are there any red flags that you look for that makes you go, no, 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 I will not ever work with that company because this. Yeah. Uh, if the leader is, uh, so, so there's three things actually. Uh, the first one is, does the executive team gel, uh, with, with me? Um, and, Basically, if someone is uh, mean, I, I don't know what other word to use, uh, critical, overly negative, I just don't have enough time to to deal with people that are negative and critical and judgmental. Um, and if I, I see them treating other people that way, they're talking smack about, you know, anybody and everybody uh and just saying how critical like every everybody basically is like everybody else is stupid besides me <laughs> type of leader then that's a red flag the second one is uh the core values of the company so what do they actually do and and i've had several opportunities where people wanted me to kind of step in and help but the crux of what they do didn't align with with my core values and actually i just launched a, a another website uh dustinhillis.com yeah and it's more geared towards like keynotes and public speaking type of thing but it, as i was building out the website i thought you know it'd be cool is just to put my core values on my website and so dustinhillis.com i listed those core values out actually on all things new i think in the about section i have listed the core values for all things new and I literally look at them to like remind myself, okay, as I'm evaluating an opportunity and we're going through that dating phase, I'm like, am I really excited about what these people do? And am I really excited about the leader's core values? And if, and if I see that the, that the leader is, is off on those core values, then, then it's time to, to pass. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I, I'll pass them off to, a, uh, to get a coach. I think everybody needs coaching. And so, I've, I've already actually passed several people over to Southwestern Consulting and said, hey, this would be a better fit for you to go um, get a coach somewhere to go find another person. And uh, learn, learn those things and understand learn, them. Yeah. Learn those things. But if I'm going to join the team uh, and, and be part of something, I, I want to know it, it's in a line with those core values. And so uh, and then the third one is the opportunity to scale. So the goal is looking at their financials and looking at the model and looking at the economics behind it and the, the macro trends is to see if it can go to 100 million. And uh, so the vision for all things new ventures is to always have five businesses we're engaged with, five more that are coming in to the to the queue and one every year that is uh, being monetized in some way. 
and the goal is for each one to, to have a hundred million uh, valuation when wow. they monetize. I have no so, doubt. So then when we, so, so not, there's not uh, all businesses can scale to that level, just pure economics. The market's not that big. So that's why I wanted to get into drone technology. I wanted to get into food, uh, healthcare. I have a healthcare technology company. I had a phone call with today. That was my phone call right before this was, was a healthcare tech company. Um, so I, I want to play in the playground that can be significant and make a make a big impact and financially can can make a difference. Yeah, it's where all the big kids play. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. They're ready to play in the NFL. That's right. And, and if you can't, you know, that's and and, and you've, it seems like you've always been a person from what I know of you and, and kind of the way you're talking is you, you know you think big and that's that's the start of. Any business that ever made it like that, they had to think big at the beginning, as, as Mort Hutley would remind us, right? When you think big, something always happens. But um, what, uh, on scalability a little bit, because I know, I know that you know typically good systems lead to good scalability. Um, and you mentioned the financials, but is there is there anything that, um, assuming that the market is there for a business that you would that you would give a, a quick maybe a quick advice to to people listening of like, hey, to prep your business for scaling, here's like a couple of things you need to think about as you're, as you're going in that direction. Well, it goes back to the five core pillars that I look at when starting off with the new business with uh, all things, new ventures. And by the way, this is the same thing I've done and all the other roles that I've had my whole life is um, starting with the executive strategy and making sure that's right. Again, I don't care how good the product is. I don't care how good the, the leader is. If the strategy is not right at a certain point, it hits a wall. Uh, second is looking at the marketing strategy. And that was interesting. A, a lot of companies, they just kind of laugh about marketing and they, they think it's not important. Um, I think it's super important. Uh, even door to door, I remember uh, if you think of names and you think of like how we utilize those, especially now with Facebook and the way uh, people are doing those postings with with having people share the testimonial of them holding the books and they got the kids there. Yeah, that's marketing, and it's genius. And the guys that are selling two thousand units now, uh, I think Emil really mastered it back uh, when he first broke the record. And and that that was him figuring out how do I go door to door and focus on marketing? Well, most companies are the same way. They're they're not realizing, hey, social media marketing is important. And and a lot of the executives I know, they shy away from social media. They think, oh, you know, I just don't do that. And it's like, man, well, you're missing out. But uh, <laughs> you're missing out. It's it's free. Um it's effective. It, 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 it's what people want. It's how people make decisions. I mean, mm -hmm. I buy stuff on Instagram. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like, uh, people, uh, lots of people do. And so marketing strategy would be number two. Um, and, and, you know, you'd call it the go to market strategy. And, and when I think of a go to market strategy, it's marketing, uh, with your product line. So marketing is kind of a broad term. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, I do marketing. It's like, that's like saying, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm a human. 
Um, and so I play sports and you're like an NFL star. Like, yeah, that's like saying I play sports. It's like, like okay, congratulations, you know. So so you have to really get specific about like what what part of marketing are you focused on? So your product matters. Um, are you priced right? Uh, and, and with product strategy, looking at um, the opportunity to scale um, residual products and uh, reoccurring revenue and contracts that go into perpetuity. So if you're wanting to 10x a company, one of the first things you can do is just look at the product mix. So the drone company is a great example. For eight years, they only sold training services and they were one off trainings. And it was like the Pentagon calling saying, hey, train our soldiers on this drone technology and they pay a lot of money. We would go and train them. And, and we were known for being the, the best. Uh, Tough Stump Technologies is the best at drone technology training, period. But our contracts weren't in perpetuity. And it was just, we didn't think about it. So we weren't asking mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the special ops team to do it every year. And uh, we didn't have online training. So that was an example where we looked at not only the contract, but the, the delivery mechanism. So we created a learning management system. So now we have Tough Stump University and you can go online right now and see it. And, and oh, we yeah. have TAC University. So tactical uh, awareness kit is TAC. And it's what uh, military uh, people use to create missions. So they, they use this uh, pad to create their mission. And we, we have always been the leader in training people how to use TAC technology. Well, now it's online. So we have a customer right now where um, there, there are about 1,400 people in this military group that are going to buy it. And once they buy it, there's 17 other groups that will follow suit. So you you do the math and and wow. every year. So so it's equal to about $400,000 in revenue in perpetuity. So one client's $400,000 forever. And then you get 17 of them to do it. And and now you have a 10x company in there less is. than a year. And it was just looking at one product to, to put it together yeah. the right way. That's not even like one section of your company. That's one product within the products of your company. That's right. That's wild. And if you do that, five times now you're talking that's how you get to 100 million that's how you take a company from 5 million to 100 million and then you got to market it right so putting together a comprehensive social media strategy a branding you know getting the brand right getting the copy right getting the web design right training your team what to say when they answer the phone and hey i'm interested in ordering 1400 of these trainings you're you're putting out knowing what to say that's that's marketing um it's all part of the same thing so uh anyways i could go on and on about that but that's important yeah. um business development is a whole section so outside of marketing but related to marketing is the biz dev side of things so that's what most southwestern people focus on and, and take great pride in but where you're where are you getting your leads how are you generating leads once you have a lead, what's your lead conversion uh, strategy? And yeah. some people do it digitally and they create funnels and they, they take people down digitally. Some people get on the phone, they qualify them, they get them going through a, a process to make sure they're qualified. Uh, some people just go and knock on their door and, and they, they talk <laughs> to them. 
So um, having that business development process is super important. Then, um, and then obviously once you're there, you have your presentation, answering objections, closing, but that's all like basic stuff that most Southwestern people already know, but it's very important. And I'd say Southwestern people, that's kind of the zone that if you sold books door to door for several years, you probably have some, some skills within biz dev. Um, a lot of companies don't though. And, and so that's why you see super successful alumni out there in specifically the business development section of a business. Uh, next is uh, legal. So, so we have executive strategy, marketing strategy, uh, and, yes. and business development strategy, and now legal strategy. Legal is super important. And I remember going to lunch with Spencer Hayes, and it was back when I first was a co-founder at Southwestern Consulting. And he said, uh, Dustin, what do you think the most important people within your company are? And I thought it was going to be, you know, my top producers and, and salespeople was what I thought the answer was going to be. And he smiled and he said, you're accounting person and you're a legal person. Yes. Two people that you need to have the best relationship with. And it blew my mind because I, I for sure would have thought it was the sales team. And so, uh, as I've seen all these other businesses and you know, a lot of people, they don't, they don't even know what a legal strategy is. Their contracts are a mess. Um, you know, the mushroom business is a great example. A lot of the contracts were handshakes. And so it was just like, Hey, yeah, I'll buy uh, 500 pounds of mushrooms at $7 a pound from you. And they would shake hands. And then we would invest millions, literally millions of dollars into the infrastructure of of building out the the production of these mobile mushroom farms and and then we don't have a signed contract oh no from the the wholesale buyer of the mushrooms so it's just basic things uh once you once you understand that it's it's basic but it's not basic for people that are in the grind in the trenches just trying to make it happen yeah um, so getting your contracts and making sure the contracts are fair. Uh, I've seen just just bizarre agreements and and uh, you you want your employee contracts, you want the vendor contracts, you want the um, equity contracts to all be equitable and uh, be fair. And I think that you'll get a reputation based on that. And when, when everybody knows that, hey, th this is the kind of company I want to deal with, they, they come to you. They come out of the, the cornfields and, and they, they say, hey, I heard about you uh, working with so-and-so and, -so and uh, man, uh, can we help you with this? And, and they know your terms are reasonable and they know that uh, you're going to treat them right uh, uh, while you're working with them and, you know, if, if something were to go wrong, it, it's, it's always mapped out in, in that legal strategy. So do you want to, I mean, first of all, I, if people are listening to this and they're not writing these things down, shame on you, what are you doing? <laughs> Especially if you're not an entrepreneur, even if you're not an entrepreneur, um, one of the, so after I left Southwestern, uh, I, I, one of the most impressive CEOs I've ever met. And I, I I'd love to connect you with him in general, just cause I think even if you, you don't become partners through all things new, just, it's just a good connection and a sharp, sharp young kid uh, named Chandler Bolt. He, um, is a CEO of selfpublishing.com and they're a school that teaches you how to self-publish amazing sharp dude. But, 
uh, one of the things I heard from him, and I think he heard it from someone, and I think I was reading his book or something, but I got to meet him. And he said one of the most, kind of like what Spencer Hayes said to you, but in a different vein, because to answer the objection of, yeah, but Dustin, but legal is expensive or accounting is expensive. And he said, look, a good lawyer and a good accountant are never too expensive because eventually at some point they will pay for themselves. And that is such sound advice that you don't know the number of times I've had someone on the show here, whether it was with relations with other companies or like that said something at some point in their life where they were like, Oh, we didn't look over the contract or I thought he had my best interest in mind or something like that, that made them shoo away the idea of getting lawyers involved in things. And then it bit them in the ass later. I mean, it's stemmed in several times and it wasn't like for 50 bucks. I mean, this was major contracts, whether with a client or a business that they were partnering with and they ended up on the wrong end of that stake and it bit them hard, 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 hard. It's always worth it. Uh, Never sign a contract without having a lawyer look at it and have a good lawyer that you trust and um, and have a strategy. You know, a lot of people, they only hire lawyers when there's a lawsuit and they don't think of using lawyers proactively to, you know, get trademarks, to get patents, to uh, make sure the contracts actually add value to the product uh, mix and all those things add value to a company and protect you. Um, so yeah, having, having a lawyer, a legal uh, and, and having a goal, having a legal strategy as part of your goal uh, is something that, that rarely happens. So. Yeah. Amen to that. So that was, was that the fourth one? What was the fifth one then? Uh, finance. So having a financial strategy, uh, so it, it's amazing when you meet with a lot of these entrepreneurs and they have successful businesses, they're doing millions a year. And then you ask them, Hey, what's your long-term vision? And then they get this look on their face and they go, that's a great question. <laughs> and, and so, uh, a, a lot of times they turn it to me and they say, what do you think, what do you think we should be doing? And, and it's kind of funny because I've, I've created a lot of clarity about all things new. And a lot of times by the time we get to that question, I've already researched their industry and, and looked at the trajectory, looked at other market comparisons to know if they can hit $100 million, I'll just throw it out there. And I'll be like, hey, you know, what if you set a goal to do $100 million and we put a business plan together and reverse engineered all the steps that you would need to take to hit $100 million, would that be something you'd be interested in? And they typically say, yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh-huh. and that's kind of our, our launching point is taking a hundred million dollar valuation. And then uh, I have 12 steps uh, that, that I follow to increase the value of a company. So we start walking through those 12 steps and, and they work. Mm. Dang. That's awesome, man. That is so cool. Okay. Well, think I have, by the way, I have so many more questions, but I know you're limited on time. And also some of this is just like stuff that we could get nerdy about with like, you know, CEO stuff now, but I wanted to touch base on this because I think it's something that we're doing. To, it's a project that we're working on right now together. And I wanted to make sure we at least touched on this and I'm sure we'll skip around and talk about all sorts of different aspects of all things, new ventures. But one of the things that for people who are listening, if it, to this is a good place to promote this. If you are listening to this going, I wish I could listen to this guy. And you, whether you know Dustin or not, I wish I could just listen to Dustin talk 
with other CEOs of other companies or just share some of these ideas regularly a couple times a month, well, do we have good news for you. So Dustin and I, um, we launched a Unicorn Podcast, which is now the parent company of Ponytails Podcast LLC. And uh, with that, we're doing uh, podcast production for different companies who want to increase their brand and use a podcast as a way of creating and building the community of followers of people who uh, are like-minded and think the way they do and appreciate the advice and insight. And so it made total perfect sense for Dustin and I to partner up. So we're launching all things new ventures podcast. So be on the lookout for that, where we're going to be interviewing whether um, it'll either be Dustin interviewing CEOs or it'll be just Dustin talking about things like this, things to look out for common things that he sees in companies as he's working with them that he wants to highlight and share some wisdom on. And of course, talking to some of his clients to really understand aspects and industries of uh, the variety of people that he's working with. So if you guys are checking that out uh, and, and are, uh, regular listeners of ponytails we'll be launching that um over the next few probably like a few weeks but we'll keep an eye out we're still getting some of the uh, guests together but i just want to at least promote that right now just because i think like i was about to say i could talk to you about this for hours and it's like oh well we're kind of going to do that so <laughs> great <laughs> so, yeah I, I i'm excited about it and uh, the folks I've already reached out to are very successful entrepreneurs and leaders, CEOs, owners of companies, and they have a lot of valuable things to learn. I'm constantly learning from my friends that are out there making it happen, doing exciting things. And I just love sharing that with other people. I feel that's my calling that God put me on earth to help people achieve their God-given potential and this podcast will be a great way of, of helping live into that mission. I love that. Um, so let me ask you this. I actually had this thought earlier and, and I wanted to make sure I asked you, where did you learn all this? Because you're so wise with all these things and clearly um, your experience uh, as a CEO has obviously shaped, shaped and sharpened this skill of yours of growing companies. But before you got uh, you know, started as a CEO at Southwestern or maybe even consulting, uh, how did you who mentored you? Who, where did you like? What books did you read? What classes did you take? How did you like uh, absorb all this information and, and, and get to this point? I, I would say, based on feedback that other people have told me, uh, multiple folks that I've worked really closely with have said I'm the most coachable person that they've ever met. And so I think that if there was to say, what's my superpower? My superpower is being willing to be coachable and to take feedback and actually apply it and to, to learn and to have a, a desire to learn and to never feel like I, I, I know it all and to never feel like I'm the smartest person in the room. And, you know, maybe it goes all the way back to growing up. I, I always struggled with academics. And I was bullied as a kid and I was not a, a cool kid. And so uh, I never had like a, uh, as a, as a little kid, I never had the thought that I'm just uh, the smartest person in the room or the, the, the best at whatever. And so I think it, it just humbled me <laughs> to, to get picked on and, and, and I, I wouldn't recommend it. I, I actually have a, um, disdain for, for bullies. And I think everybody does, but it, I have an extra like experience of it actually happened to me and, and it's, it wasn't cool, but it might've 
develop some muscles within me to to know how to deal with with people who are mean and and uh being a bully but then learning from it and and becoming better because of it and uh from there i i, I mean really I, I think becoming a christian was was the biggest thing when i was 13 years old i dedicated my life to christ and i was pretty subpar before then and all of a sudden it was like my eyes were open for the first time so first time i remember experiencing enthusiasm i remember just being like life kind of sucked before that and um I, I was like a big video game kid probably the coolest thing i did before becoming a christian was playing nba jam you know yeah. and and so uh that was the first time enthusiasm and excitement entered my life and lots of good things started happening from there that's when i got into sports and started playing football started wrestling uh found out i was actually pretty good at both uh ended up getting a scholarship to play college football did pretty well at wrestling and and then wow. started gaining confidence and and you know uh all all the other things started coming with that and then uh along came southwestern and did pretty well with that and it was it was uh building blocks it was like one thing that you do really successful builds on the next thing that builds on the next thing and your confidence grows as you win success breeds more success as everybody's heard from zig ziglar and it's it's true and so i think the, the catalyst of that was was god and and every time i've had struggles I've, i'd say was the most removed i've been from god and as a, things have progressed and really cool things that were beyond my understanding happened was probably when I've been the closest to God. So wow. it's pretty, cool. it's pretty correlated. <laughs> and then, yeah. And, and I like that you said success breeds success. Cause then the, that leads you to meet really brilliant people, you know, having, having lunch with Spencer Hayes can't be a terrible waste of time. Yeah. In your life. <laughs> Being willing to have lunch with people like that. And funny enough, I mean, I, I went to that lunch and like a dork, I had a, a pad, a paper. So this is this is how I came to lunch was sitting there with my pen and I sat down. And I said, all right, Spencer. So thanks for inviting me to lunch. Now, uh, you know, what, what advice do you got for me? And that's how <laughs> I showed up to lunch with my pad and my paper ready to go. Spencer's just like, what? Dude. Oh, he loved it. Try no, the sandwich. Yeah, no, he he he. I guarantee you, he thought that was cool. So, oh man, who who's speaking of like mentors like that? Who's the biggest mentor you have in your life? Hmm. You know, my dad recently overcame brain surgery, and he's always been a huge mentor in my life. Uh, he actually started a company called Hillis Metro Flooring, sold his company to Southwestern back in the day. That's how I got connected with Southwestern. Wait, really? Yeah. Yeah. Is my They bought my dad's company. And so then um, I remember growing up, uh, him telling me things like, hey, anything you can put your mind to, you can do. And that's like one of my earliest memories was him saying that. And so, uh, and then watching him overcome brain cancer recently has reinvigorated just how much I appreciate him, 
how much of a, a role model he is. Um, you know, he has uh, tremendous faith, positivity. And after, I mean, going through one of the hardest things I can imagine, just his perspective on life, his focus on the family and just, uh, just being a all around good human is something that really inspires me. And my dad's one of the best business people I know. I've learned more about business from him than anybody. And wow. so, yeah, I'd, I'd say my dad. We should have your dad on the podcast. He'd love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess if Southwestern bought his company, he could be an honorary. He, he could uh, be an honorary guest. Yeah. Or 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 we should have him as a guest on your podcast. There, they, oh. We got both. I think it will, both would work. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And, so let's talk about uh, a little bit about the future. So what, what are what's the North Star for you when we've been talking about these like big strategies for um, uh, all these other companies? And you kind of touched a little bit on you know having five and then five that are incoming and then one that's rich. But do you have like a, any 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 other uh, big goals or aspirations for either all things new ventures or other uh, projects that you have working? Yeah, you know just having in the next 10 years, the total value be a billion dollars seems to be motivational. That's cool. And it's, it's more just what, what, uh, I could do with that. Uh, one of my goals is to give away 20% of all, uh, income, uh, to charities. So I'm, wow. I'm the chairman of the board of a nonprofit called, um, old school farm. And we uh, employ people with disabilities. We grow healthy food and then we distribute the food to people in the food desert, uh, people in need. And so I would love to see that in every city across America and, and growing healthy food, helping people with disabilities and feeding the hungry. I mean, that's not a bad cause. Yeah. It's pretty Jesus awesome. did that. That's, that's <laughs> that was right. kind of his thing. That's kind of what he did. It's in a book. Yeah. <laughs> The best-selling book of all time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> huge, huge character in that one, by the way. I mean, yeah. it's, it's when you, you see, a, there was a comedian though in time that was like, he was Jewish guy, but he was like, you know, tremendous character, honestly. It's really risky when a book inserts a major character so late in the series, but honestly, they nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was exactly halfway through the book with a major t uh, plot twist. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> incredible. Yeah, just kept going. Yeah. Page turner. No, that's awesome, man. I, and I think that's so cool that you that you were planting that part of your personal journey and goal and and big thinking processes to give back. You know, oh, yeah. that you don't hear much. Um, I mean, you hear about some people and some cool CEOs that are coming through, but generally speaking, when people think of like capitalism and people who have money and billion dollar value, you know, they they don't. They don't really think of someone who is selfless like that. Uh, you hear Warren Buffett, you know, he's going to give away most of his money. And you hear people like Mark Cuban who are like very obviously involved in giving back um, all that, you know, what he's doing with his companies. And so to hear another really super successful CEO talk about giving back and not hoarding, I guess, uh, and, and, and trying to help people in need specifically, it's, it's just cool. It's really inspiring. And I, and I commend you for that. That's really cool, man. Um, so awesome. Uh, okay. I wanted to ask you a little bit uh, about um, some Southwestern stuff. Do you mind if we switch switch gears into Southwestern? Sure. Okay. So this is normally when we go back in time. And oh, by the way, I think I've heard an email come in. I don't know if it's on your end or mine. I just turned on my no, do not disturb. Yeah, your end. Yeah. That's so weird. I, I just, turned off. Have you heard it too? Yeah. 
Okay, so my do not disturb is also turned off, so I don't understand where that's coming from. So for, for those of you listening, apologies. It is what it is. Um, but it's a casual conversation, so it doesn't really matter. Um, okay, man, so I, let's wind the clocks back because you just touched on this. But how did you get into Southwestern in the first place? So we're looking back at 2002, the summer of 02. How did you hear about going door to door? So, again, going back to my dad. Uh, so I played football. I got hurt uh, playing middle linebacker and went home uh, that semester and my dad said well what are you going to do with the rest of your life and at that point football had been my whole life so i was like shoot i don't even know and he said well uh i think you ought to go sell books with southwestern i was like yeah dad sales is your thing you know i'm probably gonna do something in athletics and he goes well you were just talking to me about that car that you want to buy and i said yeah and he goes well how are you going to pay for that car I was like, I thought you were going to pay for it. And he said, I'll tell you what, um, if you go and and sell books, he goes, I've seen kids in their very first summer get checks of $20,000. I was like, what? Do they got drugs in these books or what? And uh, he's like, no, I said, seriously, uh, I've seen, you know, you can make a lot of money and uh, I'll, I'll pay half of your car if you, um, if you, if you do it. And so that was it. I just said, okay, let, let's go. But, and so he called Roger Smith and Roger drove from Nashville. Actually, he sent Keith Kimball. Uh, Keith Kimball drove from Nashville down to Dalton, Georgia and met me in my living room and signed me up to sell books. And then he did my the parent visit at the same time. And my mom came in and he was trying to go through the whole process, telling my mom like, hey, this is going to be hard. You know, Dustin's going to want to quit and all this stuff. And my mom like gets this weird look and looks at me and goes, is this something you're, you're wanting to do? And I was like, yeah, dad said it's going to be good. And then she looked at Keith and said, well, why are you talking to me? He said, oh, it's part of the process. And, you know, that's what he's going to do. And she was like, well, if Dustin said he's going to do it, he's going to do it. And she just walked out of the room. And so Keith's sitting there like, what in the world's going on here? And then I'm like, hey, I got some friends where, you know, we just bought a six pack of beer. Now it's really important. I got to go. And so I, I literally just like leave Keith. Like, like I'm like, hey, man, you got to go. I, I was like, you got something for me to sign. And he like had me sign, you know, whatever the letter of intent or my mom signed the, the whatever it was. And uh, and literally we uh, fast forward to the week before or a few days before cell school. And I get a phone call and I'm driving down the road and, and it's Roger Smith. And he says, Hey, Dustin. Yeah. Just checking in, uh, making sure you're still coming to sales school out in Nashville on Sunday. And this was on Friday. And, uh, I was like, Oh shoot, that's this Sunday. And he goes, yeah, yeah. You know, that whole thing Keith told you about. <laughs> and, uh, and so I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll be there. And he's like, you'll be there. Like with a shock sound in his voice. And I was like, yeah. So he's like, okay. And uh, my buddy uh, hands me a blunt as we're driving down the road, smoking weed. And he said, what was that? And I take a, a puff and I'm like, I'm going to go sell books door to door this summer. And uh, he goes, what? And I hadn't told any of my friends anything. And they're like, what the heck? I thought you were going to be with us all summer. I was like, no, nah, man, I'm out. And, uh, and so my buddy and proper dalton georgia fashion said well there's only one thing we can do we need to throw a huge party and so they threw this huge party and didn't go to sleep that night 
And uh, the next morning woke up and the, the sun was already coming up. And my buddy walks outside and, and he looks at the sun and looks at me and he goes, hey, didn't you say you were going to Nashville today? I was like, shoot, I got to go to Nashville. Oh, my gosh. And so I drove home. My mom's in the kitchen cooking Eggo waffles and uh, she's already awake for the day. And, and I'm like, hey, mom. She's like, hey, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go to Nashville to do that book selling thing today. She's like, you're really going to do that? And I was like, yeah, I told you I was. <laughs> And uh, she's like, you're leaving like today. I was like, yeah, I got to leave like right now. And she was like, oh, OK. So I go downstairs and I'm and I, I'm, I'm not packed or anything and I don't have any clean clothes. And so like it was just like complete disaster. I was just a, a wreck. I was a mess. Just the opposite of what you'd want a first year to be doing. Oh, everything that going, like the opposite. Yeah. That's right. Everything that's the worst thing you could imagine for a first year. No, you haven't even, you don't even know there's a sales talk. <laughs> no. Oh, I don't, a sales talk. I haven't even heard of a sales talk. And, and so, I, and, and you can't make this up, Andres. I don't, I don't even have a bag. Like I'm looking around and I can't find my suitcase. So I thought, oh, you know what? I don't even need a suitcase. So I literally get a black trash bag and I don't even have clean clothes. So I throw dirty clothes into a black trash bag and I put it over my shoulder and I walk upstairs and my mom's, you know, sitting there still cooking some waffles. And, uh, and I'm like, all right, mom, I'm out of here. And she's like, you want some uh, waffles, Eggo waffles on for the road? And I was like, that sounds great. So she hands me my plate of Eggo waffles and I take my trash bag of dirty clothes and I throw them in my car and I take off to Nashville. And about halfway between Dalton and Nashville, uh, I stop at an old Texaco bathroom and, uh, use the bathroom and I look down and I see this lump in my sock. I'm like, what the heck is this? And so uh, upon further inspection, one of my friends unbeknownst to me had put drugs in my sock nice. as a going away gift. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like what the heck is going on? <laughs> and so I uh, flushed the, the drugs down the toilet and I looked myself in the mirror and it was probably the defining moment uh, of my entire career at Southwestern was actually before even getting to sales school because it was like my life flashed before my eyes and I saw what my life was going to look like if I just stayed in Dalton doing drugs and doing all the things I was doing. Partying and, it, and it was basically I was going to go to hell. And um, or I was living a life of hell, uh, however you want to say it. And so I just looked myself in the eyes and I got teary eyed and I said, no matter what this selling book thing is, no matter what, I'm going to prove to myself that I have what it takes to not be a loser. And I'm going to give this everything that I've got. And I got in my car and I drove to sales school and. And that, and that's when I wow. entered Southwestern. So you show up with a black trash bag full of clo dirty clothes <laughs> on minimal sleep. To no, sleep. Zero sleep. To I Atrium. did sleep for one second the night before getting the Atrium way. Hey, what's up, guys? I actually slept through Dan Moore's Mr. Mediocrity. I was in the back asleep for no. Yeah, I didn't hear it till my second summer. No, was, it's so good. Everybody looked at me like weird. Like, yeah, you didn't hear it last year. I was like, no, I don't remember this. It's so good. Can we talk about how legendary that speech is? Uh -huh. By the way, my brother, my brother did it this last summer since Dan's gone. Uh -huh. He crushed it. He crushed it. 
your brother is perfect for that. Your brother yeah. is one of my favorite people in the world. He, yeah, he's he's great. He's one of my favorite people. Perfect person to, to carry on that speech. And you know, Dan didn't create it. It was actually he yes. was a carry on of a of a of a legend of the past. And now your brother is carrying yeah. on from what the a legend. baton to carry, huh? Yeah. When we had Dan on the show, he told us about how he got that speech, and it, and it yeah. was amazing. It was yeah. it was just really incredible. When you said that Danny's one of your favorite people in the world, you sound you sounded a lot like my mother. I was like, all right, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Okay, Bob. And, and you. And okay, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> now you really sound like her. Now, 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 you just you must be talking to Sandra regularly. Um, but anyway, okay. So, so that Mr. M speech. What a. I mean, is there is there a more legendary speech at sales school than just that first? I mean, besides the pony from Mort, but that's a video recording now nowadays. Is there? I mean, that's yeah, like the iconic. The, the right? Mort speech was pretty important uh, for me. Um, I thought they were all good. I mean, I don't know if I would say one was more important than the other. Um, for me, I think it was actually going in with the attitude of I, you'd have to kill me before I quit. That a lot of the motivational stuff actually was not impactful for me. And, mm -hmm. and uh, I cared more about the technical stuff. So I would sit in the back and kind of sleep <laughs> through the Mr. Mediocrity. But I remember... Uh, hearing Ron Alford teach advanced. So actually Kevin Johnson was the first one. Uh, I remember KJ uh, teaching advanced sales and I was like, Oh, advanced sales. And I remember going from the back all the way to the front and clicking my pen and KJ taught, you know, how to do a buying atmosphere and something else. And I was like, Oh, that's good. Yeah. And so that was more impactful for me was really the, the technical things that I, I didn't know about legendary now i gotta ask this do you remember this because and and if you don't remember this that's totally cool but i gotta brag a little bit about where about my southwestern heritage so going into 2002 in 2001 force and the university of nebraska at lincoln my alma mater here's that degree baby <laughs> they were the number one school and they had the top salespeople in the world how, what was it like to have those legends to learn from? Do you remember? Oh, man, I don't. In my first summer, I, I was so oblivious. <laughs> Literally. You were catching up from the hangover. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I needed sleep. I, I wasn't paying attention to anything uh, besides survival. And I mean, I was so bad. Uh, my last day of sales school, Roger tried to convince me to stay and said, you're not ready to go. You can't get through your approach. And I had to sell him on allowing me to go out for my first summer. And I remember that that's like a legendary story about you in the, you know, in the lore of, of Southwestern people who were legends. Like that was something that they said about you was that you, you got asked to stay back and you had to be like, no, I'm going. Yeah. I, I literally had to convince him. That was my first sale I ever made was convincing Roger to let me go to the book field. And, uh, and even once I got there, it was, it was wild and crazy and, um, my first week, uh, I ended up, uh, finishing number one. I was the number one first year, my very first week on the book field. And I remember going to the Sunday meeting and Amanda true was the, uh, the OL that summer. And she was like, Hey, Dustin, yeah, come here. Uh, well, congratulations. You're on the cover of the pace setter. And I said, what's a pace setter. And she was like, Oh yeah. Um, could you give me those order books? And I was like, sure. So I, I handed her, a, a, you know, the stack of order books and I looked, I remember, I didn't know what was happening to my second summer. 
And my second summer, they, you know, the managers were looking at uh, calling through the order book and they were calling my customers to make sure they were legit customers <laughs> and making sure I wasn't padding my stats. And sure enough, they called all my customers and they were all real customers, you know. And and I didn't even think anything of it. My first summer, I was like, oh, man, uh, customer service here is really good. They're like, hey, they follow through. Oh man! I was on the cover of the Paysetter that that first week, and and that's the first time I even heard of it. And then wow. you know, I went on my uh, third week. I guess I hit President's Club, and then by my fifth week, I hit Mort. And so you hit Mort your first year. Yeah, I hit it twice. Wow, that's wild. I mean, Mort is a special is a special thing to hit in general. Um, but that's awesome. Because I remember, so now here, let me, let me make sure this is accurate. Cause back then there was two divisions. So it was education and power. You were in education. That's right. And in power, it was Matt Atchison, who was the number one on that side of the, of the ballpark, but you still beat him overall, right? You were still the number one. Barely. Yeah. It, you guys uh, were real close, right? Really close. Yeah. It was like, uh, just a few units between yeah. us. And- I mean, talk about another ledge. I mean, that was he's a superstar yeah. i mean the guy is he was one of those people and you have this too i met and i've met enough of you guys through here where it's just like oh you just good you just i mean you're coachable so that's your superpower i don't know what his superpower is but when you meet people like that who are just good at the job you're like oh you were one of those his is incredibly good looks out that's, that's true yeah. a man is sharp dressed man yeah. he's like oh you sharp don't cut nobody he doesn't Ooh. even have to talk he just, no. yeah, people just buy yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, had, I had elena aren't on the show one time and she was telling me she was following him one day and she's like he's like the story goes hey right, stay in the car he goes and talks to this lady in the driveway for like 30 seconds and then comes back goes okay i just hit more let's go get a beer and it was like a saturday i'm like what like who what are you ah, it's because you're good looking <laughs> no but <laughs> on, a, on a more serious note the dude's an incredible hard worker and um i heard that that summer it was pretty cool that to watch from people who recall you guys going at it your first summer to watch it happen because it was you know six it was like 6200 or something units you guys were really crushing and it was cool it was cool so that's awesome now okay i have a couple questions i always ask these about first summer especially but obviously we're going to have more discussions about your multiple summers here but do you remember your first customer i do yeah my very first day my second door i knocked on uh, the first door, it was a lady, it was like 7.40 in the morning and I woke her up and she wouldn't open the door and and uh, she was like, go away. And I remember uh, overhearing student managers talking in the parking lot about uh, getting uh, pre-approach. And I was like, uh, I, I, uh, and it was a line, uh, what was the line? Can you help me with my map? And so uh, somehow I learned that like right out of the gates. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to really like, I didn't know the sales talk, but I remember, can you help me remember math? <laughs> and so uh, she, she was about to slam the door in my face and I like put my map out and I was like, excuse me, can you help me with my map? And she was like, you know, rubbing the sleep out of her eyes. And she's like, what? And I was like, I just, you know, I'm talking to the people with kids. It's really important about their kids' education and uh who would be awake right now that i could talk to about their kids education and she was like Ugh. and she like looks over and she goes you know what emily right down the street she uh has a baby and i know that baby wakes her up early 
and she's got she's got like three kids and go talk to Emily. I was like, all right, thank you. So I go to the second door. Emily answers wearing a bathrobe. She's got the six month old baby, you know, in her hand. And I said, hey, is it Emily? She goes, yeah. I was like, I was just talking to uh, Miss Smith right down the street there and heard you had three kids and are really into their kids education. And uh, only got a few minutes to spend with each person. You got a place we can sit down. And she let me in and she she bought. Um, also, I overheard in the parking lot that there was actually five books instead of three books. And so I remember thinking, I'm just going to sell five books. I'm not going to do this whole three book thing, and which Roger probably loved that I, <laughs> I wasn't doing <laughs> anything that they told me to do. And so uh, I showed her the five books and, you know, told her how much it cost. And she said, uh, I mean, it was the worst demo ever. Like I just pulled it out. and I was like, yeah, it's five books. It's got math. And I just went straight to the math and was like, uh, it's pretty cool. And she was like, yeah, that is cool. And then I, I quasi had the clothes memorized. And and so I just was like, you know, it's great because I just take half down now and the other half at the end of the summer. And I could do credit cards. I could do cash. Which one would you rather? And she's like, I'll just put this on a credit card. And I was like, sweet. God. She just went and got the credit card. So. And do you know that feeling of like that after your first customer, you're like, oh, my God, it works. Like just the, the realization that you're actually. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was so naive i just was like of course yeah this everybody's gonna buy <laughs> it was just like, wow that wh what does that teach us about success in sales one enthusiasm and kindness go way further than technical ability not that it's that important because you did have some technical ability to at least throw out the wall to see what stuck at the time but enthusiasm and kindness go a long way and then just sheer belief in the fact that what you're doing is good <laughs> i think belief is the most powerful thing someone can have. I, I'll take someone with strong belief in what they're doing over skill or education any day. Really? Oh yeah. That's good. Write that down. Oof. That's awesome, man. And and then so your summer goes on. Are you aware? I mean, let me explain what I mean by this. My first summer, I didn't hit six thousand units. I was like top 10. But I I did sell 4,200 and I did hit PC and and you know, I had some big weeks relatively, but one of the, I've always, and I've said this before in the podcast, which is why I'm kind of paraphrasing this part, but one of the biggest things that helped me was nobody ever made a big deal about how much I was selling. Like I, I remember my first week was doing, we were doing our bar and Liz Brewer, she's like, how many units did you sell? And I said 282. And it was like the most in like the force, like, and, but she just goes, oh, cool. Like no big deal. And in my head, I'm like, oh damn, I must have not done that great. Cause she's not impressed, so, but I was working so hard. And so the whole rest of the summer, I just didn't care what anybody else was doing. Was that your mentality or like, how did you, like, did you know you were going to be number one? Did you, obviously at the beginning, you didn't even think about it. I don't think, but I, like, how did you, how did that develop as I guess, as you, as you went along? Yeah. You know, funny enough. I actually did tell Roger that. So it kind of in the same conversation of him telling me that you need to stay for sales school. You can't get through your approach. You know, you're not a fit for this. And then he, and then in that same conversation, he said, well, what's your goal for the summer? And I said, well, I'm going to be number one. Yeah. <laughs> and so he just laughed and was like, okay, you, well, first you, you should probably memorize your approach uh, to start <laughs> with if you're going to be number one. And, uh, and then, you know, it was interesting to really get into, uh, 
with Roger how to do it. So I said, you know, hey, Roger, if I'm going to be number one, how, how do I do it? Like, what, what should I be thinking about? What should I do? And he said, you know, uh, there's three things. Uh, number one, everybody uh, else has a goal to work 80 hours. So if you want to be number one, you should work 85 hours. So I wrote it down. And I was like, done. I'll work 85 hours. And he was like, number two, everybody else is going to do 30 demos. So you, if you want to be number one, you should do 35 demos. It's like, done. I'll do 35 demos. And he was like, number three, uh, everybody else is going to be doing, um, uh, was it 20 sit downs? And you need to get, you need to get at least 20 sit downs. I was like, done. I'll get at least 20 sit downs. And if you go back and look at my canvassing chart, I, I pretty much was doing that. Yeah. I have actually, um, who was it? Brandon Q. Somebody, when I was selling books and we were trying to hit like bigger numbers, your canvassing charts are like, like your bar reports are out there somewhere. And like, I could see you go back and see how many units, how many demos, how many sit downs you were having, uh, your record breaking summer. And it was, I mean, there was no getting around it. I mean, it was, you were just seeing and doing the numbers. It was, it was incredible. Yeah, the, the record breaking summer. I, I, it was less focused on the 35 demos and more the 20 sit downs. Yeah. So it was, well, I was pretty consistent with 20 sit downs. And you had permission. Anybody listening to this, that's the first year that you just heard that don't get the 30 demos for it. You, you get permission to avoid demos once you've hit 10,000 units plus, and that's then you can bad. figure out right? like, but, that, I, that's, that's the same thing. I've, I've said that as well. That's a good rule. Until you get to 10,000 units, focus on the demos, your attitude, and your schedule. Once you hit 10,000 and you're trying to hit 20,000, referrals, sit-downs, and some technical things, packaging matters. That's when you start tweaking. Yeah. And 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 I do want to ask you and drill you with questions about your record-breaking summer. But I do the, the, you can't speak of that until we talk about how your second summer, you come back and you hit 10,000 units, which is a pretty – insane jump even from 6200 but more than anything a pretty big number because for people who are listening who maybe they know dustin but you didn't know much about the southwestern culture hitting 10,000 units was a benchmark of uh hall of fame type of like it's it's it's, it's like it's like winning a super bowl like you can't consider a quarterback a, a one of the greats or even one of the top quarterbacks if they never won like a championship like there's like certain benchmarks in our culture in southwestern that you're like hey this person hit ten thousand units that's or they became a dsm that's another one or they recruited 20 people that's another one those are like certain things and so to give context to this part so for those of us who sold books we're all like yeah yeah we know but um going so you hit number one um before and so you your draft in Nashville back, how do you feel? I mean, did you know you were number one at this point? Or were you like, holy cow, that was a crazy summer? We'll see how uh, we did. Which summer? The, after the first one. First one? No. Uh so this was uh uh my first summer did I know I was number one? Because it was tight, maybe, like we maybe said. I, maybe I did. Uh you know, I, I don't know. I, I do remember uh wanting to stay longer. So uh, at some point, oh no, 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 no. So I, I sold 10 weeks and I think it was like 6,700 units, something around there. And um, and then when I got to check out, some random person walked up to me, said, man, 6,700 units in 10 weeks. Why didn't you stay a few more weeks and try to break the record? And in checkout, I was like, wait a minute there's a record. 
And uh, they were like, yeah, it's like 7,300 units. And you, because my last week I hit more. And so uh, I was like, done it. yeah, I was like, and, and I didn't care about school. I was like, <laughs> yeah. I definitely would have stayed out there to make more money. I and, just made 40 grand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like this is the coolest thing I've ever done. I genuinely had fun every day. Like I didn't have a single day where I thought it sucked. Like it was the most fun I'd ever had in my life. Like it was yeah. awesome. So I would have stayed for, I would have stayed four more weeks my first summer for sure. Like, I, yeah. I was like, this is, this is awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. Football. I ain't got no football. My yeah. knees or whatever. This, this yeah. is easy. I, nobody's hitting me. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So that's wild. What was it like to go back to Roger and be like, I told you. You know, that's just not in my nature. Like that never occurred to me to even say that. Sure, but um, but it had to have felt like something. It literally wasn't on my radar. Like I was just wow. like, I was I was so thankful that. Uh, I mean, I, actually, it was crazy because I, I hadn't been to University of Tennessee yet, so I went straight from checkout to go find a house to get signed up for classes. Like I didn't do anything you were supposed to do, so like I didn't have anything set up. I didn't have a house. I didn't have my class schedule. So like I, I literally went straight from getting my check at Southwestern and drove straight to Knoxville and was like, all right, I got to get everything going. We're having class start like next week, you know? And so uh, I, I, I don't remember the details, but I don't remember having any time to like think other than like, Hey, we got to get going. Like I need to, I need to get to Knoxville was really all I was thinking. Wow. And then last question about your first summer that we can move on is when as you're starting to hit these big numbers there, um, th- th- there's always a point I feel like in any, even when you start hot, that it clicks, like the, you know, you go, f- it, you jump. Do you remember that moment? Or do you remember that instance where you're like, this is for, I'll give you an example. For me, it was when I started doing my self-talk, I was hitting like 200, 300 and it was fine. And I was doing well and I felt good and having fun like you. But then one day I was like, you know what? I should probably be more coachable. These people talk about self-talk. I should start talking to myself. And it felt so weird, but I was like, screw it. I'll just commit to it. And if they're wrong and it doesn't work, then it's on them. And show enough that week, like 500, then 600, then 700. And I'm like, that was the moment that I was like, you know what? I'm just going to commit. And I know you were already committed, but was there anything else that happened that you went from like, oh, Emily with the barely know the sales talk to I'm hitting Mort. Like when did that like turn on for you? Uh, I, I would say there was two two stories that specifically I can remember that that was like a light switch where literally you could look at my units and it was like the next day that it went crazy. Uh, the first was my first summer going into week five. Um, I for, uh, I didn't even know what President's Club was until I hit it. And, yeah. and uh, they were like, you hit President's Club. And I was like, great. What's President's Club? <laughs> yes. and, and so uh, they told me all about it. And then I was like, is there any other clubs? And they're like, yeah, there's more. I was like, what's more? And they said, it's a thousand. And I was like, okay, like I'm going to do that. So then my fourth week, I didn't hit it. And so I hit, I don't even know, it was like maybe 700 units. And I really tried hard. And I remember being deflated uh, that week coming uh, to the Sunday meeting, being like, man, I didn't hit my goal. You know, I was all depressed. And um, they were like, well, have you been listening to any advanced sales? And I was like, what's advanced sales? (laughs) 
<laughs> so uh, uh, Amanda True gave me a, a dirty old bag of tapes, like old school cassette tapes. 2002, so I had cassette tapes in the car. That's oh, right. Yeah. And and it changed everything. And I and I was like, this is like gold. Oh my gosh! And it had Chat and Richie. It had Kaya. Kaya had a tape mm. in there. Uh, Michelle Maloney, who's now sure. Michelle Broadbent, was in there, and uh, and Mort was in there. And so uh, the next week, I, I put in the Mort tape, and I played it, uh, and and it was like. Oh my gosh. Like I didn't even remember hearing Morton sell school cause I was probably asleep. And so, uh, <laughs> I, I listened to it and I was like, now this guy has like what I need here. So I decided the entire week I was going to listen to more speech on repeat for the entire week. So there's the only thing that played in my car for the entire week was the Mort speech. And it came down to the, to the very last, it was Saturday it was like, it wasn't the last, it was like Saturday at four o'clock and I needed like 30 units to hit more. And, uh, it was just like one of those things. And it's always this way when you really try to sell, no one buys, but when you're not trying to sell, everybody buys. Yep. And, and so I psyched myself out and I knew I shouldn't have counted my units. You know, it's like, uh, Kenny Rogers says, never count your chips while you're sitting at the table. But stupidly, I counted my chips while I was sitting at the table. And I uh, i don't know. For some reason, I, I was goose egging. And I found this one uh, uh, garage sale. And I walked up to the lady. And she was really interested. But I just had way too much pressure. And she was like, yeah, I'm going to think about it. And I was like, lady, like, you got to buy this. <laughs> <laughs> There goes the buying atmosphere. Just yeah, I was like, no, out the window. <laughs> We're throwing everything out the window here. And she was like, yeah, you know, I don't know. And so um, I forgot what all I said, but but somehow she had a set of golf clubs that she was trying to sell for like 150 bucks. I was like, I'll tell you what, if you buy these books, I'll buy these golf clubs. And uh, that way, you know, there, there's a, a discount in here somehow. And, uh, and she was like, man, you really, you really, uh, want this. And, and then I was like, all right, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but there's this thing called more. You told her, <laughs> you explained it to her. <laughs> I was a stupid first year. I didn't know anything. Oh, and, that's so, so funny. and so, uh, she did. So she bought 30, it was like 35 units and I bought the, I still have the golf clubs. Also. No way. They're really cool. They're like wood, like old school wooden clubs. And um and that's and that was my first time hitting more. So that's epic, man. We should yeah. that should be like a one of those clubs should be like a giveaway or something that we yeah. like, like if we go, hey, we're gonna raise money for some charity of your choice, like to your charity, but and we're gonna give away one of Dustin Hillis's Mort clubs. Okay. And then not for that. Yeah, that sounds great. That'd be sweet. We've been actually trying to do that with the alumni network is mobilize them to do charity work. It's a little harder than I thought it would be, but just I think we should get orgs, quote unquote, in every city of alumni who are yeah. kind of like the spearheads of it. And then whenever there's like something that happens in the world, Ukraine or you know, Israel, or whatever the things that are happening right now, where it's like, hey, this charity's legit gen- like legit and they're actually trying to help, we're gonna raise money. So Pat Roach's org in you know, Chicago versus Steve Hurley, he's in Georgia and Atlanta. They're going to raise as much money as possible over the next month. Whoever wins, they get a dinner on us or whatever. And then 
I'll send that money over there or whatever. Like that's my goal, but stuff like this is cool. And you have like, those are legendary things that are special to you, but at the same time could be helpful to, you know, incentivize people. I don't know. Consider it done. Uh, but, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a fan. Thanks for that. We're in. If you guys are listening, we'll figure out, we'll keep an eye out on our Instagram to see how we're going to do that discount or that, that uh, contest later. But anyway, that's so yeah. awesome. Okay. So then the second story was uh, the year that I set the goal to sell 20,000 units and break the record. And it was my third week. And uh, in order to sell 20,000 units in 14 weeks, you need to average 1500 units a week. And uh, my first week, it was like, I don't know, 1,100, 1,200 units, something like that. Uh, and then my second week, I went down to like 700. And so going into my third week, it was like I was so far off from averaging 1,500 units that it was like kind of freaky, right? It's like, man, like I, I can't have this much of a delta and still hit 20,000 units. And so uh, – I had, I had been talking to Kaya at the time and uh, picking her brain. Um, and, and I called her on this particular Sunday and uh, said, Hey, I'm, I, I've got to go out here and like crush it. And, um, and she was like, okay, well just call me each day and, and let's talk. And I was like, okay. And I, I remember uh, at the time, Dave Brown also had the goal to break the company record. And so uh, he was like kicking my butt um, going into week three because he was he was hitting fifteen hundred units like 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 a machine. I mean he he's just a machine. he is a machine. Yeah. And so we had him on here too. He's he's a you can feel his like like clockworkness. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Uh, it's it's amazing. And so I'm just sitting there thinking, man, like this guy's gonna. There, there's no way I'm I'm gonna be able to do this. And so I thought, okay, I just need to beat him for a day. I don't think I had had one day where I, I had beaten Dave uh, in units. So I went out that Monday and I was like, all right, if I can just do this, I can prove to myself it's possible. And I gave it everything I had. And I had a 400 something unit day. I'd never had 400 units in a day. And I called my manager that night and I was like, hey man. Um, uh, and my first question, he said, how'd you do? I said, pretty good. I sold 400 units. He goes, wow, like that's your best day ever. And instead of being all excited, I stupidly was like, Hey, how many units did Dave sell? And he was like, uh, I don't know. Let me check. And he, and he came back and he's like, Hey, yeah, you sold more than him today. And I was so excited. And, and I remember calling Kaya and she answered the phone and I said, Hey, I, I got good news. She said, what? I said, I sold 400 units today. And she was like, Oh, cool. Cool. And I was like, and I beat Dave Brown. And she was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. And, uh, I was like, well, uh, you don't sound too excited. And she was like, oh, you know, what are you going to have for dinner? And I was like, okay, this is weird, but maybe she had a bad day. So then the next day I go out and I, I have even a better day. It's like 430 units. Go home, uh, call Roger and, and, hey, man, how was your day? Oh, I had 430 units. But, hey, how did Dave do? And he's like, oh, man, uh, let me check. And he comes back and goes, man, I got bad news. Dave had like 450 units today. And here I am having my best day ever. And I was so focused on beating him that it was the, the whole saying, you know, comparisons, the thief of joy type of thing. And it's like, man. Uh, and so I, I called Kaya and I said, hey, uh, she was like, how was your day? And I said, you know, um, 
it, it was pretty good. I sold 400 units, but man, this guy, Dave, he sold more than me and, uh, and he, and he beat me. She goes, Oh, okay. Well, uh, anyway, so what, what are you doing for the rest of the night? And it was like, she didn't care at all. And I was like, man, okay, I, I, let, let's pause here. Like how in the world are you thinking this way? And so I asked her, I said, um, Hey, Kaya, I have, I have two questions for you. Number one, what do you think like a really big day is? Like what's a blow it out of the water day? And she goes, mm, probably five or 600 units in a day. And I was like, Jeez. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, that's why you're the record holder. And I am not is, is I'm sitting here thinking 400 units is blown out of the water. And you're yawning as I tell you, I sold 400 units in a day. And then the second piece was about this like competitive thing. And I said, Hey, when you're out there, cause Kaya not only broke the record, but she broke her own record. Yeah. She did it twice. She did it twice. Yeah. And that's good context. Thanks for adding that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, and, and this was back when she would sell 18,000 units and number two was like 10,000 units. Yeah. So it wasn't close. She didn't have someone out there. I think it was easier to do it the way that I did it, where I had someone pushing me that I had to kind of like really have some, have that 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 competition or whatever yeah. you want to call it. But I remember thinking, man, like, how did you do that? And and she just off the top of her head said, well, it's easy. Every day I just do my dead level best and I compete with myself. And I know if I if I do my personal best every single day, that's good enough to to be really big. And I was like, oh man, I am not thinking that way at all right now. Wow. Just what if, and I'll fill in people in this context, the record, the the first time like records started becoming important was when uh, Bill Zizzy and Dave Rosen beat Michelle, beat Michelle Maloney. That was like the first time someone was like, oh, we're going to try to break this record instead of just like going and doing our best. And then that was in 1989. And then there were several people who broke it after going forward. And then Kaya did it in like, oh, one, I think. And then again in 2002, and then again, and it was banana. I mean, I think the closest somebody ever ever got to her when she was crushing it was Brian Wilson. Sold sixteen thousand, right? I mean, that was like in 2001, and that was it. So then you're going into this, and you're talking to her, and she's like, "Uh, four hundred, blah." Yeah, and <laughs> and so it was setting the expectation in your mind, and and I still do this to today. Setting goals and just saying you're going to do something is a powerful thing. So you have to be careful what your goal is because you might sell yourself short. Hmm. And I, my goal was to sell 20,000 units and I sold 20,000 units. Dave's goal was to break the company record and he broke the company record. Yeah. I just sold a little bit more than him. Yeah, you just checked out 15 minutes later. <laughs> And, and my goal was different. We had two different goals. Those are those are two different goals. And wow. and so uh, Kaya taught me that. And then and then the whole competing with yourself. So ever since then, I I just said, you know what? I am not gonna do this like comparison thing. Uh, I really am just gonna look in the mirror every day and say, did I do it? Did I give it my dead level best? Yes or not? Yes or no? And I can honestly say. For about 20 years that I have given it everything that I have. I haven't held back any punches. I have I have left it on the field. Um for the people that have ever worked with me and the people that know me, you know, uh I go full throttle. I go full throttle every day. And that's the only speed that I know. 
And so um, wow. when I, and I, and I think it goes back to that day where, cause otherwise you're going at the speed of someone else versus the speed of your potential. If you go the speed of your potential, it, it'll blow your mind. And the very next week, actually, oddly enough, this shirt was the first week I sold 2000 units. And at the time, no one in education had ever sold 2000 units. So if I was competing with someone, there's no way I would have sold 2000 units because no one had done it in education yet. And, mm. uh, and that's how I caught back up to break the record was I had to have multiple weeks at 2000 units to, 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 to do it, which, which I did. Okay. So now I have so many questions about your record breaking summer, which by the way, I appreciate what you said about full throttle. And I do have a question about, uh, how do you avoid burnout, but we'll get to that. Um, let's just talk a little bit, maybe some advanced sales here. And this could be related towards Southwestern, but we can also, I guess, tailor it to anybody who's in sales. who maybe is trying to like bust loose and just really, you know, uh, increase the production, but going before you went into the summer there, you started setting goals. You started figuring out, okay, 1500 units. How much of that planning went into this summer? I mean, or was it more kind of like your first summer? You're like, okay, 20,000, I need to average 1500. Let's see. Like what, what, what was the strategic plan for that for you? Funny enough, it started with the thought, um, actually from Keith Kimball at the last day, my second summer, he shadowed me. And at the end of the day, I'd sold like 300 units. And I said, Hey man, what'd you pick up from the day? And this was Keith's 10th summer and my second summer. And he just shook his head and he said, you just had more units in a day than I've ever had in a day in 10 summers. And he said, you don't even know what's in these books. And he said, as soon as you start taking, which <laughs> I only do like three pages of the demo book. And so, <laughs> That's the funniest thing. And, and he said, um, if you take this job seriously and you really put effort into knowing like what you're doing, you're going to break the company record. And that was the first time the thought entered my head that I could break the company record. And I was like, hmm, that's an interesting idea. Maybe I should learn what's in these books and try to break the record. <laughs> and so product knowledge, people. First yeah, that's step one. Going into summer three. <laughs> so <laughs> uh so then I you know, also I just kind of same same idea. Like if I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna go all in and and really do it. And so I went back to school and I realized that the, the prior two years or three, I had, uh, I was a business major. I was one credit short of a business minor. And my very first class that semester was psychology 101. And they started talking about behavior profiles and the disc profile. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is way more about selling and applicable things that I could use than my business classes. Yeah. So I changed my major to psychology, started reading books about uh, behavior. I started uh, buying just random books about cells. And I think I got like Jeffrey Gittimer's Little book, Red Book of Selling was kind of my first wow. book. Uh, I bought Tony Robbins, Awaken the Giant Within. Um, I bought all the Zig Ziglar books and I just started like consuming like, okay, what are all the things out there about how to be really good at selling? And uh, then I took the sales talk and I'd sit in the back of the room. At, uh, so I would go to every single interview, even if I didn't have someone in the interview. 
um, to kind of like force me to, to study. And I would, uh, and I had uh, two years worth of, of advanced sales notes that I had taken. And then I had all these books that I had been reading. So I uh, incorporated that into the sales talk. So I literally rewrote the sales talk and I, and I line by line would, would insert, like when Kevin Johnson would talk about the data approach, I actually hand wrote the data approach and I would create like if then trees on the sales talk and say, if the dad answers, I say this. If the mom answers, I say this. If a grandparent answers, I say this. And, and I wrote all of this out and spent dozens and dozens of hours in the back of the room doing this. And then by the time the summer rolled around, I, I would practice the demos also with people. So I had it completely memorized by sales school. So, you know, at sales school, you're supposed to do your 30 demos. So I had all the sales managers uh, that were doing demos with me. And before I did a demo, because I had it like I had it really down by the time that summer started, I said, hey, instead of just like doing a demo, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of the customer you had last year that should have bought, but they didn't buy because of some because of some reason. I want you to try to remember their name. And I want you to try to remember the objection they gave you. And I want you to just be that person. So be a, a very difficult person, but they probably should have bought, but they, but they didn't. And, and so I had 30 people or 30 demos where that was the scenario that I did in sales school. And by the time I got done with sales school, literally like my last five demos, they were like, I'm, I have to buy. Like there's nothing, I don't have a reason not to buy. And I was like, I'm ready. And wow. And then that first week, you know, then I went out and just started doing it. Did you tell anybody besides Kaya that you were going to try to hit 20,000 units or was it more like an internal goal that you're like, I'm just, just watch. I didn't tell many people. Yeah. It, it was a, a very small group of people. I really only told people that could help me get there. So I think I told Kaya, Dave Brown, I think randomly I told Lester Crafton, like he, he pulled me off to the side and asked me like, what's your goal? And I was like, well, I'm going to break the company record. And he looked at me and he goes, you will. And he like walked off and I was like, okay. <laughs> isn't, isn't that amazing about book people that we do that to each other? Yeah. I, I, I've told the story before, but this is appropriate here to this is uh, I'll never forget this. And I learned this lesson about what it is to believe in people and at least at the least the very importance of not shooting them down when they give you their goals and, 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 and even just how much that could go towards believing in them. So we had, I'll make this quick. My brother and I were hanging out at the union somewhere. Mitch Johnson comes up to us. He's a book guy. And he was kind of looking bummed and he wanted to run a half marathon. And he had told like his friends from his fraternity or whatever. And they were kind of like, dude, you're not, you've never been a runner. Like, what are you doing? You're an idiot. Like half a marathon. You you've never even ran two miles. Like, what are you doing? Like, he's just beat down. And he's like, I'm like, what, what are you moping about? And he goes, oh, just my friends. Like, I love Southwestern people because I always believe in you, right? Because I, I and he told he tells us a story, and he gets done saying he was going to run a half marathon, and I look at Danny, and Danny looks at me, and then we look at him, and then Danny goes, "Half marathon? Why would you not run a full marathon?" I was like, "Yeah, who runs a half marathon? I mean, if you're going to do something, you might as well do the full." <sighs> whatever. I guess if you want to run a half marathon, it'd be mediocre, but whatever. And then we didn't say anything else, and he looked up and he goes. I should run a full marathon. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, now he's ran like Ironmans and stuff like that. But just that aspect of book people to just believe in each other and pump each other up in ways that it's like, hey, 
you think 10 is big, kind of like what Kaya did to you, 400, dude, 600. You know, it's it's such a weird community that we do that to each other for. And it's really cool to have. I I think that's part of the aspect that I miss the most about it during that time of my life was just after I left. Nobody was that for me anymore. Nobody was telling me, hey, you're bigger than that even. And that's it was a cool blessing to have the time. Yeah, it's really cool. Wow, man, that's so awesome. So you went out and crushed it. You 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 broke the record. Would they go down to the wire, or were you like ahead of schedule, or how did you? No, my last week we and this was back when you had to do it in fourteen weeks, and right. so uh, my my week fourteen, uh, I had to sell over two thousand units, and um, I, I had run out of turf. I was smell, selling in these really small towns in Texas. And so I went to a new territory, no names, cold turkey, and started Shit. and started new turf that last week. And I had my best week ever. I sold twenty six hundred units yeah. week fourteen, and that that's what did it. And, and yeah. I think that Thursday you had like five. I remember this because I remember studying your your charts. You like yeah, that Thursday you had like five hundred something, and I'm like, what in the world? Yeah, no, I, I really got. Uh, I went to Liberty, Kansas. So I actually went to a different state <laughs> and, and uh, found this little this little gym of a community. And uh, my very first customer was like the car dealership guy that had the the power name and then just like awesome. yeah, awesome. Now, were you selling like big pack? I mean, was it just a bag every time? Or because there's there's like stories, I, and I'm getting people make up. You know, in Southwestern, people are so funny because they make up like legends and stuff. So I got to verify with which myth is true. But there were stories of you going, all right, you put 400 units in the trunk of your car. And you're like, I'm not coming home until these are gone. Is that was that like the mentality, or how did you? I did carry a lot, so I did cash out a lot of people, and I did figure out that a key for me is actually selling all 14 weeks and not doing a delivery week. So um, early on, this was back before it was common practice. Uh, Chris Adams used to fly me in to train all the Estonians. And one day he, uh, I said, Hey, you know, some people ask me not to really tell the truth of what I really did. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Do you want me to really teach your people what I did? Or do you want me to give the watered down version? And he goes, no, let it rip. Tell them everything. Don't hold anything back. So I taught referrals. I taught um, how to do deliveries, how to deliver 100%, do payment plans and get checked. Back then we were getting checks and they'd be post-dated checks. And uh, I had a stamp on the back of the check that I would do for collections. And um, you just figure it out. And like all entrepreneurs do, you know, when you have a big goal, you you do whatever it takes to hit that goal. And so. Um, so yeah, so I, I was, uh, about after week two or week three, uh, getting massive amounts of books shipped to me. And then I would just fill up the car, but it wasn't like what I was selling that day. I mean, I, I'd put, I put several days worth of books in my car and really load that sucker down. And then, um, good thing Kansas is flat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I had a truck. I had a, flat, a a truck with a hard top back to it. So I literally had the back of a of a truck full of books uh, ready to go. And I just cash everybody out. But no, my I, I, when I was hitting my stride, uh, a goal was like one bag a day. But it didn't happen that way. I mean, it was probably a bag every other day. And then, you know, uh, 
I mean, you do the math. It, I, my average package size was probably 36 units, I think was what it, what it was. So it was pretty normal, but you'd have several uh, starter sets at 30 units and then you'd have several 60 units. And then, you know, back then I think the bag was only a hundred, it's like a hundred units. So yeah. what, however that worked out. Wow. Yeah. Cause when we had Dave on here and he, he talked about that summer too, and his was more like machine gun. He broke the record for the most customers, right? He had like a thousand customers or whatever. Yeah, he, he was actually going door to door and I was working referrals. So yeah, which I is, did not, I did not just go to the next door. I waited till I knew they were home. I had a name. I had information about them. So mine, if I was going down a street, I'd go to this house and that house and that house and that house. But I, was, I was still on the same street. I wasn't going across the neighborhood. I was just being strategic about when I showed up at the house and not just knocking on a door if I didn't know they were there. But did you did you have dead time? I'm sorry, I'm getting so technical about this, but it's so fascinating. Like, did you have dead time during the day? Because like sometimes people were just weren't home. Like, how did you? No. I was so it was um, the first part of the day was typically appointments. So from seven thirty to like nine nine thirty were appointments, and I got really good at setting appointments. Um, and they were solid, like they were there, they were expecting me, you know, set up appointments. And then from 9.30 till 11, I would work referrals and I'd go to my hottest names that I had the most information on. Then from 11 to noon, I would cold call and I would actually go open up new turf. And um, usually I wasn't trying to sell anybody. I was just trying to get information. So I loved from 11 to noon finding the, the old person and they tell me where all the kids are on the street. Yeah. And so it was really mapping, but sometimes I'd accidentally get a customer from 11 to noon. And then um, at noon typically was an appointment and I do a lunch appointment. And then from noon to two, uh, I would open up more turf. So again, that was like work. Uh, uh, but for me, it was mapping. Somebody bought, they bought, but I, all I needed was information. And then around three, I would turn back around and start working referrals based on the information I had. And then by five o'clock, I'd work gravy. And usually by seven o'clock, I was back into my appointments and I do appointments from seven to 10. Wow. That's wild, man. What a schedule. And in such a different way to skin the cat, right? Because Dave was literally like selling to grandparents. I mean, it was just like everybody oh, well, could buy. I sold to grandparents too. But I would know the grandparents' name. I'd know how many grandkids they had. And someone would say, hey, you ought to sell that grandparent down the street. And I would go do it. How cool, man. That's wild. So you get back to Nashville and you know you got it. I mean, you know, you because the, cash, the units have been delivered. The cash has been collected. So you know you got 20, 20K. I knew, I'd break in, I knew I had broken the record. What I didn't know was how many units Dave sold. <laughs> so you call Roger. Hey, Roger. Well, Roger gave me the idea of just waiting till Dave checked out and then turning in my units after he did. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I was going to ask you about that moment because that's also another legendary moment from that 2004 summer was that you guys checked out within a few minutes of each other, right? It was yeah, like, a... I, was, I, I, I was really good with my bookkeeping. Like I, I was always on, on into the details of my business ever since my first summer. Like, and I we, always did that. And can we so, yeah, can we pause that before you continue about that checkout story? If there is anything as important as at the, the, if any, especially for, for first years or people who are still second, third summer listening to this, if there's a, if there's anything you've written down 
to really understand how to hit this these kinds of numbers the basics is you got to have a good if you're running your business you got to have your books in check there is nothing more tragic as a person who i kept my stuff together too so my checkouts were pretty relatively smooth there's nothing more tragic than someone who on paper sold 10,000 units but it checks out with 7500 because they're like numbers or think are a mess and even now it's easier because you have an ipad that can basically do all of that for you there's still people who still don't have those in check and so if you're learning anything from this besides you know big packages or whatever is what you just said which is if you had messy stats no way you hit 20k like no not even i mean you could have sold the 20k but like checked out with 20k different story because that is such a common thing so if you're listening underline highlight that what you just said sorry go on well, and how you do one thing is how you do everything so and it, it's you're forming the habits now that you're going to have forever so if you see yourself as a successful business person into the future if you see yourself as being a ceo or an entrepreneur then form those habits now and i don't know many super successful ceos that don't have some element of managing their business properly and so if you if you start now treating yourself as if you're going to be running a hundred million dollar company one day then that's the right attitude to have that's cool yeah write that down okay so back to this checkout so so you get to check out and dave's checking out how did you how did that go down because i've heard of this moment but i've never really asked you or him so um i mean I don't remember it being that big of a thing. Just Roger was like, Hey, I'm pretty sure that you sold more, but why don't you like wait and see? And I was like, whatever. So I, I probably, you know, went and like hung out and I don't even remember what I did. And then Roger came up to me and was like, all right, Dave just checked out. Let's go turn in your, your units. And I was like, all right. And went and turned them in and, but you knew at this point because oh i knew I, yeah i knew i had twenty thousand units he had uh, 19 eight or something right so he was close his i don't remember what it was but yeah it was within a few hundred i think i had twenty thousand three hundred, and his was nineteen thousand something I, I don't i don't remember. I mean it, for you guys it was like a day of work worth what you guys were doing but it was a couple yeah. days of work yeah it was and and um so there it is yeah that was it, <laughs> it was like 85 hours i mean by that point it was just like you know i'm I, I did my best and if he beat me he beat me and you know i'd already mentally let go of all the caring about it and it was like i hit my goal i had twenty thousand units and if he had little bit more than good for him and i really did feel that way at that point that's amazing so after 20 why did you go back for number four for to alaska just did you try to beat it again or was it just like hey eh? actually i thought i was done um i i uh, got engaged uh to kaya uh shortly thereafter and and wanted to start a coaching consulting business and this was before i knew i was even going to do it with southwestern and um so I started creating a business plan and was uh, talking with Rory Baden about starting the company. And um, all of a sudden uh, I get a random phone call from uh, Jerry Heffel and uh, he is uh, 
you know, such a great leader, probably uh, one of the, the greatest mentors that Southwestern's ever had. And uh, yeah. I love Jerry. He's awesome. And um, he says, uh, hey, man, uh, I hear you're you think you're done uh, with with uh, selling books. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm starting a training company. Actually, I was I was starting at Wakaya. So Kaya and I were actually the original people that were starting the company for what ended up becoming Southwestern Consulting together. And uh, he goes, yeah, that's great. Um, you know, if you were to come back for one more, cause I was still in school, I still had one more semester. So I got married in December, but I didn't graduate till May. And so uh-huh. uh, he was like, yeah, if you're gonna, you know, get married and, and all that, like you should probably graduate college first before starting a, a company. I mean, you know, starting a company while you're still going to school is kind of hard. I was like, yeah, you know, I thought about that, but you know, I think I, this is what I want to do. And I don't have anything else to prove. You know, I, I kind of have checked all the boxes that I wanted to check. And he said, well, if you were to come back, uh, where would you want to sell? If you could sell anywhere in the country, where would you want to sell? I was like, man, if I could sell anywhere in the country, I'd probably sell in Alaska. Uh, that's my favorite place I've ever been. And he goes, what if I give you the entire state of Alaska with you and Kaya? No one else will be there. Y'all can have the whole state. And y'all just have a money summer, make a ton of money before your wedding. You know, would that be something you'd be open to? And I was like, shoot, the whole state of Alaska? That sounds pretty cool. And uh, he said, yeah, it'll, you'll have a blast. You know, you can still, you know, take that money and, and go start your your uh, coaching consulting business. And so I called Kaya and, you know, she thought she was done as well. She, she thought she was going to be a DSL and got passed up on a promotion and she was kind of bummed and she was like, I'm out, you know. And so um, so she she also said, uh, I I will. Uh, yeah, sure. What the heck? Let's do it. So, so she sold, we doubled the price of the books and uh, she sold 6,000 units and I sold like 13,000 units. Um, and we were back then making, I think $8 profit per unit. Which is what it is now. Yeah. Which is what it is now. But again, going back to the Chris Adams story, uh, I told his team that and they're like, wait, we can change the prices of the books. And so, uh, here we go. Yeah. And, and that's when they started figuring out like what people would actually pay and they changed their prices and, you know, yeah. uh, and, and so that was all from me flying over to Estonia, wow. <laughs> teaching them how to, how to do that. So, wow. Dang. Okay. Well, one last question. And then we go to the rapid fires and then a ponytail, if, if that's cool. Sure. Um, when you look back now, because you you know Peter Petkoff now broke your record that stood for almost twenty years. When you look back and someone hits thirty thousand, what do, what do you think of that? Like, how did that? I mean, obviously you let go of it, and you know records are meant to be broken. I think you and Dave had a whole uh, advanced sales about specifically that idea of like we just set the record, but somebody's going to come along and break it. But did you think that? it was going to be 22,000, you know, just barely, or like, or like when, when you saw that 30,000 came back in your head, what to someone who the record was held for so long, what was that like for you? Well, I mean, my first coaching client ever was Theo Davies and that's when I fell in love with coaching and he sold 19,000 units. He had like a 700 unit day 
and he had a week that was like 2,800 units and, uh, Wild. and he should have sold 20,000 units. It was like some weird, you know, uh, respect thing that I, I, is the reason he didn't break the record. And I got more satisfaction out of coaching Theo how to break the record than me personally breaking the record. And that's when I decided to start Southwestern consulting. Um, and then Peter, you know, when I became CEO of Southwestern family of companies, my favorite thing was working one-on-one with Southwestern book people and uh, just being able to sit down with Peter Petkoff. And um, I think we were in Columbia and he had had a good, uh, I think he had sold 10,000 units and he was doing the same thing that, you know, most people do. Kai and I are sitting by the pool and he comes up and he was like, I'm going to get you a cigar. And if you will smoke this cigar and let me ask you a bunch of questions, I'll buy you a cigar. And I was like, you don't have to do that, but sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so he goes and gets me a cigar and he's sitting there, you know, taking notes. And he said, well, what do you think? Uh, I forgot what the question was about, you know, what do you, what do you think is possible or what, what do you think? Do you think you did your best? Do you think you could have worked harder? There's some question like that. And Kai and I both had already like had this conversation and looking back at our own stats and remembering how we felt and remembering like thinking like, what, what could we have done? And 30,000 was the number is like, we both have felt like we could have sold 30,000 units and that if we had to do it all over again, it was possible. And I, and actually we had done the math and like we, we could empirically show that 30,000 was, was doable, not like a stretch. Like it was totally yeah. doable. So we shared that with Peter and uh, he wrote it down and, and, uh, and, and got like real quiet and got like real serious. And uh, he goes, man, like this is intimidating. And I was like, what? And he was like, well, now I feel like the only thing I can do is 30,000 units or I'm not doing enough. And then we both looked at him and we're like, well, yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> yeah. You, you suck if you don't do this. No, no, not quite like that, but yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm trying to think, I think he had already, cause I, there was another conversation with Peter where I challenged him to sell, I think it was the 10,000 unit summer to uh, I bought him a hockey. I took him to his first NHL hockey game. And he said that was like, he put it up on his dashboard or whatever. And it was like 10,000 units to go to a hockey game. And he did it. And it was like, man, if this kid can do that in his second summer, this guy can break the company record. So kind of took him under my wing and, and started coaching him up and, and giving him probably more advanced sales than, than the typical person. But he had already sold 10,000 units and he was ready to hear some of the referrals and and the time management and that system that I just shared of, you know, how to set appointments and, and how to really do some of those things. And Kaya was sharing the same stuff. Uh, That's all the stuff she did too. And uh, I wasn't surprised at all. Uh, It was fun seeing it and, and witnessing it happen, but no, it wasn't shocking whatsoever. It was like, yeah, this is, this is right. This, this is just what this is what it should be. I was just surprised it took someone that long to do it. It was like, man, that was a mm-hmm. long time for twenty thousand units to be a record. And I think that people just again, it goes back to belief, right? Like people have to believe it's possible. And as soon as Emil believed he could do it, he did. 
yep. and they want to mill did it. And, and isn't it interesting that everybody that did it since were all on a mills team because they all had that belief. It wasn't like, Oh, they're technically better. They believed they could do it. And then they did. That's exactly right, man. That is so cool. Yeah. I, I had Peter, I hosted him for a little bit this last summer. And so he was here in my house and stuff. And it was just kind of just talking to him about like, how did you do that? Cause you know, he was telling me and his mentality is just so high. Like his conviction on it is so high. Like he, he would tell, he's like, I only sell bags. <laughs> so like, Oh, okay. So like, like how many, um, he was, Oh, two or three a day. I'm like, Oh, cool. Like just whatever to him, but it's him. It's just so nonchalant and kind of like what you were saying with Kai. It's just like, yeah, it's just the level of belief he's at because he can, it's bananas, man. Belief is the most important thing. Man, there that's a theme right there. It's just belief. The theme of your every episode I try to find like a like a common thread and it's just like, hey, believe in that you can and 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 then just committing to it completely. So cool. Oh man. Well, uh I guess I the last question, sorry, I, I lied to you. I, I do have one more question and then rapid fire. And I because I hinted at this earlier, but you earlier you said you went full throttle all day, every day. But then you always hear people talking about like, hey, make sure you have good balance and make sure you don't get burnout because if you don't, you know, for pushing 100% all the time, it could like lead to like, you know, some sort of like uh, sustainability issue. How do you like maintain that full throttle without going bananas? You know, because sometimes that could be a, a risk that people could face. A powerful vision. Your, your vision has to be stronger than the obstacles that you're facing. And when you're operating out of your sense of purpose, for me, it was my purpose in life. Like I felt God put me on this earth to help people uh, reach their potential. And if I'm, if that's my purpose of, of being on this earth, first I have to figure out what my potential is and prove I can achieve my potential and then once i figure out what what does that even feel like what does that look like and how do you do it that's the only way you can teach other people how to do it so for me it was like a life calling it was like hey i'm i'm literally doing the thing that i'm put on the planet earth to do which is help people uh, achieve their potential and so i'm going to give it everything i've got because i'm doing the thing i'm supposed to do I think that people get sideways when they let their ego come into the picture and they're doing it for the wrong reasons. So if someone's, you know, just doing it to, to win a, a, an award, they're doing it to make money. They're doing it to just like say, Hey, look at me. They're doing it to uh, someone just told them to, or they don't have a purpose. If someone doesn't have a vision, someone doesn't have, a mission, someone doesn't have a, a compass guiding them. Uh, you know, I'm, I've read this super interesting book uh, where I'm trying to remember the name of it. Um, uh, it'll come to me. And so uh, what it talks about is that uh, in the Bible, uh, the the demigod Bell, um, which is actually the root of Satan, uh, has the root in um, more. The, the, the thing that Bell hooks people on to draw them away from God is to set a goal based on more. And that like really was interesting because I know so many people who are out there and their goal is just simply more for the sake of more. 
And mm. that's a scary place to be is if the reason you're doing what you're doing is just to get more of something that goes back to bell and, and what uh, the old Testament <laughs> uh God was that people worship the, the old cow. Uh, if you guys think of Old Testament and Moses and he goes down and he breaks the tabernacle over his knee, they were worshiping Bell, the golden calf. And ironically, that uh, calf is the same image used for the stock market. So if you really want to get philosophical here, what's the goal of the stock market is more. The goal of, of most businesses is more. And I don't like that. Like if, if, if a company is setting a goal just to be more and to just grow for the sake of growing, that's not inspiring. And, and that doesn't drive you and that will burn you out. And I think people receive burnout when, when someone gives them a goal that's like, Hey, go, go be the biggest, be, be the, the best. And the reason for it is just because, because I said so, because it's more, um, Mm. That that equals burnout. That does not inspire people. That does not cause someone to work with passion every single day. That that burns people out. It's just I'm doing it for more. Yeah. But if your vision is so clear, your passion is so focused, and you're you you have you understand your calling for your life, and you're operating out of your calling, you're not working. You're having fun. You're just doing the thing you're supposed to do. It's like breathing and anything I do. That's what I, that's what I choose to do is I focus on the things I feel called to do. And when that happens, it's easy to, to give it everything you've got to be all in, to, to not hold back. Cause you know, you only live once and it like, you know, if you're, if you're actually fulfilling the purpose of why you're on the planet earth, then you should give it everything that you got every single day. Amen to that. You have you have things that people who want more don't have, which is enough. And that's that's easy then to give all of you for something that's good enough for you. And it, it goes back to your identity. If if your identity is in your work, and and I've met people who have said things like, "Man, I'm my identity is my work. I have nothing else besides my work." and you know, this is all I care about. This is this is my identity. This is all I want to do, and and you know, forever. It's just like, man, that's sad. It's like uh, your identity should not be in in what you do. Your identity for me is is just in God and Jesus, and that's it. And uh, from there, everything else doesn't matter. So you can have peace. You can have perspective. You can have um, you can have the craziest circumstances in the world happening to you, but if you know you've got God, you don't need anything else. So you can have it. it the Bible says peace that uh, passes uh, understanding, and it's like that's what it is. Is everybody else looks at what's happening to you and they think, "Man, you must be upset. You must be mad. Like, like how can you handle all these things?" And it's like. Yeah, no, it, it doesn't really matter. It's just like on to the next thing, on to the next whatever. So whether it's getting a no selling books, whether it's a really bad thing happening in your personal life, something happens in your career, uh, something happens at work, something happens with your health. It's like, man, all those things are tough. Life is tough. 
but the perspective is what matters and knowing your identity and who you are, that's all that matters. Hmm. That keeps you going. Mic drop. Let's go to the, we're going to kind of leave that there and uh, go to some rapid fire questions. <laughs> so good. dude. <laughs> Was it, is it, Oh, by the way, is it called the Lord of the heavens calling down great God of Canaan? I oh, uh, let me think here. Um, that's the first book that, kingdom of heaven oh okay check it out usually you know what we need to start doing is putting in the descriptions when people uh put in the when, when people bring up a book put those books in the description it's like because you you mentioned yeah. another couple books Google, that you that Google you kingdom of heaven and a kingdom let's see kingdom of god oh god uh no it has the word god in it kingdom of gods maybe kingdom of gods kingdom of gods uh uh by NK Jemish, nah. We'll find it when we get it. We'll put it on the description below yeah, so people can. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, have it at home. Dang it. Uh, I'll, yeah, we'll find it though. Okay, and then I'll put it on the description below so people can go read that. Okay. All right, man. So now we're gonna go into a rapid fire question. So these are just like it doesn't mean we have to answer them quick. It's just like whatever comes to mind because sometimes you don't worry about like oh my baby this was my favorite thing. You just whatever the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, share with us this and um. We'll just kind of go through them. So you sold four summers. What was your favorite territory that you sold in? As in like the state? Alaska. Had to be. I was I figured that was gonna be Alaska was amazing. <laughs> it was I so can't good. imagine. Did it I, mean, dark? I, I traveled a lot and Alaska is my favorite place in the world. I go my goal is to go every year. So I've gone uh two years in a row. This next year will be my third year uh to do a guy's fishing trip in Alaska and it's the coolest place in the world. Wow. Are there alumni up there? A lot of alumni up there? Mm, I don't know. Probably not, right? As many book kids yeah. <laughs> go through Canada. Um, okay. Favorite kind of turf to sell in? So it's like country, big brick, big brick country, low-income country, uh, suburbia. Yeah, probably uh, wealthy, con- uh, uh, condensed country. That's a sweet so. spot, isn't it? Yeah, just people that have money that are out there in the country. And connected. The country people know each other well. They aren't spread apart. Yeah, it's like the the really nice neighborhood in the country. Yeah. By the way, territory matters unless you know how to work every territory. This is something we've we've discussed here before. It's like if you don't know how to work that turf, you got to figure it out and then it won't matter. So my first summer, I worked the the dregs of, (laughs) of turf. And I sold almost 7,000 units. So yeah, it's doable. Wait, so wait, did, where did you go your first summer? I, I don't think I, uh, it was McDonald County, Missouri. So if you look at the state of Missouri, the bottom corner of Missouri, I had a day where I accidentally went into Bentonville, uh, Arkansas and my names list. I had like five people in a row that worked at Walmart. And I was like, why does everybody work at Walmart? And they were like, do you know where you are, son? And I was like, apparently I don't. And I'd accidentally, the road dipped down into Arkansas so yeah that's uh, awesome yeah and then your second summer you went where uh tyler texas and then then you their third summer is and i was out in all these little cow towns yeah west texas herford dalhart dumas canyon snyder san angelo texas the whole area because that's third summer you were like in that strip where oklahoma is barely oklahoma right that's why you're able to skip into kansas yeah I, i went all the way up to dalhart and then uh liberty kansas is like or Liberty or liberal Kansas is, is up there uh, close to Texas. All right. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um, what was your 
favorite advanced sales tape? Mm. And why is it Bill Zizzy? That was a good one. I'm trying to think. My favorite advanced sales tape was probably... There's so many. Kaya's. I think Kaya's was the best. And uh, so hers hers was, was amazing. So. I haven't heard it. That's a new oh. one. Yeah, she talks a lot about belief and you know, doing your, your personal best. Like a lot of the things that really were breakthroughs for me, she has on her advanced sales tape. Love that. Okay. Uh, favorite HQ? The memories just start rolling. My HQs were bad. Uh, Dude, okay. While you think of this, Emmy Brown. I lived in a halfway house my second summer. Yeah, so Emmy Brown. Emmy Brown, I recorded. I think that was the last person I recorded with you. And she said that she flew out to see you, to follow you, because you were crushing it. And she just ended up laying down on the pile of clothes for a bed. And she, like, the next morning when the sun coming through, she's like, what the heck are these guys doing? There was, like, a bunch of dudes just living there. And it was just a Oh, yeah. No, we, we had bunk beds in the room. So she was in a room with four other dudes and she was in on a couch with dirty clothes on it. And there was a fish tank above her that had, they, they weren't piranhas, but they looked like piranhas and it was all dirty. And it, it was a, it was a halfway house. It was not what I recommend. So. Good times. Good. <laughs> I'll just say that one. Yeah. That, that, that makes it obvious that you don't have to have a really good HQ to have a successful summer, but it sure does help. So <laughs> <laughs> it's easier uh, to come back to your own bedroom and cook. Yeah, it causes you want to, to want to sell more. Like I didn't want to go home because our <laughs> HQ was so bad. Oh, like, it's ten thirty. Uh, it's ten thirty. I gotta go. I have to have another appointment somewhere. Uh, who else is gonna buy? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, did you have a bre- uh, favorite breakfast spot? No, not one of those. Okay, I, mean, no, I was so focused on my customers and filling out my order forms and looking at my map. Uh, I mean, I was like, at the moment I opened my eyes, it was like go mode. And I I was always the first person in the shower. I was always the first person to get my breakfast and it was more just sustenance. It wasn't like I was there to enjoy myself. And I was looking through my names list. I, I would rewrite my names list at breakfast every day. Um, I would look through all my maps and I would transfer my referrals onto my physical map every single day. And I would map out every street I was going to go on and the order in which I was going to go. And I would do all of that at breakfast. So I didn't even pay attention. I think I don't even remember any of my HQs because or my uh, breakfast spots because I was so focused. You're in the zone. That's pretty cool. Um, Your favorite follow date, whether that be somebody followed you or you followed somebody. Oh man, it had to be when Kaya followed me. Uh, my my uh, was it in Alaska? At uh, one time, Kaya followed me, and um, a bird pooped on her, and uh, it was so funny. And she was so embarrassed. And we got in the door, and she had to get all cleaned up. 
and it was back when we were dating. So she was like, all you know, oh shoot, I guess got a bird poop on me. And so uh, <laughs> it was just so much fun. And and uh, yeah, I really enjoyed having her follow me. That's a good story. I love that. We'll have to have Kaya on here, by the way, at some point if she's open. Oh to- yeah, she's great. Fun. She's doing some exciting things. She has a new real estate company uh, doing investments and uh, real estate development. And yeah, she she would love to be on there. Yeah, we'll we'll all invite her next. Okay, uh, favorite off schedule story if you had one. It doesn't sound like you probably had any off schedule stories, but oh no, in Alaska we were off schedule. Um, <laughs> you know, it just got to where it was just like, yeah, you know, my very first day in Alaska with no names, no pre approach. It was like four hundred and fifty units. My That's first so day, wild man. And I came home and Kaya was like, "How was your day?" And I was like. Oh, that's pretty good. You know, 450 units. And she was like, it's a solid first day. And I was like, yeah. And so then the next day uh, we both go to work and come home and I was like, Hey, how was your day? She was like, oh, I was all right. And I was like, what'd you do? And she was like, oh, 430 units. And I was like, oh, okay. And, and she was like, so this is how it's going to be. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but then probably around week five, uh, I mean, we, we were selling a lot. We were, you know, having, 2000 almost 2000 unit weeks but we had doubled the price of the book so it was equivalent to 4000 units back then of profit and uh so we would go uh to the movies and it would be like hey if if we sell x amount uh by you know this time on saturday let's go see a movie so we would hit like 1500 units and then go see a movie oh casual i did that too no 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 big deal I remember when I did that. It was awesome. Now I sold zero units my third summer and then I would go to the movies. That was how I coped with my failure, but it's okay. This is about you. It's not about me. That's a fun story though. Okay. Favorite sales day. Now this could be because you had the biggest day. It could be like your 500 unit day or whatever, or maybe it was, maybe you sold zero and, but you learned something important, you know, that dirt pile day or something like that. Like, do you have a day where you go back and like, man, that was, that was a great day in the book field. It meant a lot. Uh, well, uh, most people have heard the, the tick story, but one day I got completely covered in ticks, like hundreds of ticks. And so, um, I wanted to quit. It was crazy. There's a big, long story attached to it, but, uh, you know, I decided not to, not to quit. And it just so happened that uh, my parents were in Hawaii. My friends were in Mexico. So the Sunday before my mom had sent me a coconut that said, wish you were here from Hawaii, which nice. is like the worst Not, thing you could do. Why would you do that? Yeah. My mom, remember my mom and Keith and that whole story of not hearing the parent talk? Well, she sent me a coconut from Hawaii. And so, and then my buddies called me from Mexico and they're like, dude, Mexico's the coolest thing ever. And then, uh, that, and then like that next Monday, I, my car's breaking down, I'm getting all these flat tires and I get just completely covered in ticks. And I, I wanted to quit. And I was like, man, I don't care how much money I'm making. This is stupid. And I remember that moment of being in the gas station and having drugs in my sock and telling myself I'm not going to quit no matter what. I'm going to give it everything that I've got. And so I, I pulled out a razor and I shaved all the ticks off. And, uh, you know, when you throw ticks into a sink, it looks like hair, but then it crawls off. Ugh. <laughs> I'm glad that you know that. I'm yeah. Glad, I'm glad that I know that because you knew that. You know what I'm saying? I didn't find that out from experience. I'm glad your experience taught me now. 
and, and, yeah. And so, uh, oh. so yeah, so, so that was a super important day. Not my best day, obviously, but after uh, not quitting and, and having that experience, I knew there was nothing that I was going to face that was going to cause me to even think about quitting. Wow. That's a great answer. I thought that, I thought that might've been your ponytail. I, but but we still have one story that we have to hear from you that you enjoy. So think about that as we talk about the last one. Here's the last rapid fire question is, did you, and sometimes this is a no, but who was the most famous person that you ever met when you were knocking on doors? And some people don't have anybody. So if you don't, you know, if you can't yeah. have anybody, that's fine. But uh, every I once mean, in a while. I mean. Uh, can't imagine geez. Texas is full of celebrities. Yeah, I probably sold to a few billionaires, but I don't even, <laughs> nobody yeah. sold, you know. Yeah. That's cool. I only ask us every once in a while you get that person that's like, you know, Tom Cruise's cousin or something. Yeah. I like, uh, I don't think I had anything like that. So. That's fair. All right. Well, this brings us to the moment where we do our ponytail. Um, that's the name of the show. And of course, people who sold books know why we call it ponies. Because um, we were all ponies, right? To do this job at the, at the end of the day, we were, we were, we were the ultimate buyers. Um, but it's a time where we ask our guests to think of a story that really impacted them during their time during uh, Southwestern. And it could be sad, it could be funny, it could be a little bit of both, it could be inspirational, it could just be something ridiculous that happened, which, as we know, is, you know, the book field is full of those things. So, at this point, take away my, my, my friend Dustin Hillis's ponytails. This story really has to do with not judging a book by its cover. And still to today, I, I think of this, is... Um, I had a, a certain week where I started judging houses based on how they looked. And I would literally look for the shiny toys and the fancy cars. And, and if they looked like they had money, I would stop. And if it looked like they didn't, I'd just skip the house, which was sad because the reason I was there was to help parents with their kids' education, regardless of how much money they had. And so uh, this particular house, I wasn't really paying attention. I'd already gotten out of my car, and as I was walking to the door, I noticed that the swing set was all rusty, and the kids' toys were, like, dirty and broken. Uh, the flower bed was not kept. Um, there was, like, trash in the yard, and I was like, oh, what am I doing? And the house just looked dingy. So I was already there, and I'd already rang the doorbell, and I just had this thought, like, this is a complete waste of my time. So I turned around. And after I rang the doorbell, I literally walked back to my car and was just hoping that they would like not answer or they would answer and like just close the door real quick. So I'm getting back to the car and I hear this voice behind me going, hey, hey, young man, uh, what do you want? What, what are you doing at my house? And I was like, oh, shoot, she's going to call the cops. I got to turn around. And yeah. so I turn around and sure enough, it's, it's what I expected. It was a lady wearing a wife beater. Uh, um, jeans with holes in it. Her hair was like all crazy and messy. And uh, I was like, oh yeah, you probably wouldn't be interested. Uh, I'm selling books door to door. They're super expensive. And she goes, books, I love books. Uh, could I see your books? And I was like, oh, this is such a waste of time. This is, this is just like, what am I doing? But sure. And uh, I was like, and there was an old rusty bench. And I was like, let's just sit on the bench. I'll show you real quick the books. And she was like, yeah, yeah, okay. So she sits down. I sit down. I immediately pull out my book. I don't follow any of the sales talk. I hand her the book. 
And I said, yeah, it's got math and science and the formulas are in there. And, and, you know, uh, and she goes, oh, math, I, I love math. And, oh, look at these formulas. And she's like flipping through it. And I was like, yeah. And she goes, so like, how do I buy these? And I was like, well, and I just opened the slick and I said, it comes as a set. It's the, you know, it's all these kids books, all these CDs and, you know, everything. And uh, for the whole bag, you know, it's $1,200. And she goes, oh, okay, uh, do you take credit cards? And I was like, uh, yeah. And she goes, okay, hold on one second. And she goes inside, she gets her credit card. She comes back out and she goes, hey, do you have any more books? And I was like, well, there's these blue books. Um, they're called the Volume Library. And I don't have any pictures of them or anything. And she goes, how much are they? And I was like, I think they're like 500 bucks. And I just like, <laughs> made up the price and um she was like oh wow okay and so um so she goes she, she just said can I get those too and I was like sure and I just wrote her up and uh she paid in full and I and I went and got the books out of my car and like gave them to her right there on the spot and and her credit card went through and uh, then and then I called uh, Roger and I was like, hey, I just sold some volume libraries. I hope 500 bucks is enough to cover it. And he was like, yeah, what the heck are you doing? I was like, and I told him the whole story. And wow, so, uh, it was uh, uh, for the longest time. That was my biggest customer I'd ever had. And it was the worst demo I'd ever given in my life. And it totally taught me the lesson to not ever judge a book by its cover. Gosh, I love that story. And you know what's beautiful about that story? Every book person has had something like that happen. And and it maybe really highlights how cool it is that we did this thing in college that taught us so much. Like, what a valuable lesson to learn. As, what, what were you, 18, 20? Oh, man. Yeah, I was probably 19. Yeah. I mean, to learn that lesson in that powerful way at that point in time in your life, it changes a person. Wow. Yeah. Amazing, man. Wow. Thank you for sharing. Uh, Dustin, this, this has been a blast, man. I, I really, I'm glad that you came, uh, and, and, and hopped on the podcast and shared some time with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you, uh, and everything that you're doing and, uh, just glad to be here. And thanks for everybody that took the time to, to listen to some fun stories and appreciate you all. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. Um, guys, listen up. So uh, just to close up, if you guys are interested in learning a little bit more about what Dustin's up to, you can go to DustinHillis.com or you can go to AllThingsNewVentures.com. Uh, we're going to put the links below so you don't even have to type it in. You just scroll down on your little app, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or if you're on YouTube watching this, just go to the comment section below or above the comment section, just hit description. You're going to see the links there. You can go find uh, Dustin if you want to get a hold of him. Maybe you have a business that you would like some input in and maybe become partner with. If you just want to say hello, um, if you just want to check out a little bit what he's up to, make sure you click on that. Stay tuned for the podcast that we're going to have come out here. Like I said, it's going to be maybe a few weeks uh, still out, but we're still putting it all together. But that's going to be pretty much this vibe for every episode just talking about all sorts of different aspects of business so if you want to really geek out especially if you're a person that owns a company you're a ceo and you want to get into more of the nitty-gritty we just kind of barely even touched on it from the depth that we're actually going to get into in the actual podcast so make sure you keep an eye out and for that we're going to be posting it on our instagram so you know that it's out so you can go subscribe and follow it um and then last but not least go check out our podcast uh, make sure you find us on instagram follow subscribe like 
um, all of those things. It really supports us a lot. If you want to go above and beyond and you want to support us financially, we do have a Patreon and there are going to be some perks you're going to be able to get on that. Or there's the lowest level. It's just like five bucks, which is a Starbucks coffee for one month. And you just support us to keep the lights on and just to keep uh, being able to do this part of our show uh since we're really pivoting into doing some consulting for podcasting and so um my name is andres gamboa thank you so much for joining us we'll catch you on the next episode of ponytails um and uh stay tuned bye-bye everybody